This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that marvels at Chelsea's ability to dash our hopes this season. Uh, after a weekend when Spurs, Arsenal and United all lost, all Chelsea had to do to give some real hope for a top four finish was to beat Burnley at home, arguably the easiest match of the run-in. Uh, it seemed uh, typical, nay predictable, that Chelsea would come a cropper. Deja vu seems to be the byword for this season, as poor defending at set pieces allowed Burnley two goals, and then Chelsea had neither the nous or the penetration to break a defiant and stubborn Burnley down in the second half. But how much of this was down to the injuries to Kante and Hudson-Odoi, and Kevin Friend's woeful refereeing? Rather than blaming the kind of anti-football that has served Chelsea so well in the past, should we lay all the blame at Sarri's door for not being able to ring the changes tactically from the bench? Massive question mark. Uh, anyway, whoever it, whoever it is whose turn it is to be scapegoat this week, it now looks increasingly difficult for Chelsea to finish in the top four this season, which means no Champions League football next season unless we win a playoff against Arsenal in the Europa League final. Mind you... We've got to get past Eintracht Frankfurt first. Can any of us realistically see us doing that? There you go. The Chelsea fancast number 460. What's the point? Many have been asking that very question. And uh, hopefully we will find out what the point is to life, universe, the Chelsea fancast. Jonathan Kidd, who knows? We'll find the answers if they're out there. Uh, Now, uh, yeah, as as I've just kind of, um, you know kind of alluded to uh, dear old Jonathan uh, is not with us tonight because of course he is uh, I think he finds Tuesdays a bit difficult I think I mean basically another reason to curse Sky uh, football frankly uh, you know because they <laughs> they moved the flaming match to a Monday however having said that that meant I was able to go so I shouldn't complain too much uh, but they moved it to a Monday night which meant no fan cars which means we're on a Tuesday night and Jonathan does find Tuesdays a weeny bit difficult so uh 
I think he might be at the theatre tonight, so I hope he's having a jolly good time. So, uh, do not fear, folks. We've got more more than adequate uh, backup, of course. And actually, not even backup. These people would have been on it anyway. Uh, we have, first and foremost, the Reverend Tony Glover. Good evening. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Mm, the arch, the arch non-Sari cultist. <laughs> well, you know... I, I took my time to jump off the fence. I, I did give him every chance, but yeah, there you yeah. go. All, all you of know. ten minutes, mate. You were very generous. <laughs> I thought, you know. Uh, but always lovely to have Tony on the show because um, it's always lovely to have Tony on the show. Although I didn't get to see him last night, which was a great shame. Now, also, we've got on the show. Absolutely delighted yet again. I mean, we've been spoiled in the last couple of months or so because we've got the absolute font of knowledge that is Mr. Joe Tweedy on the show with us again. How are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, really well, Chidge. Yeah, thanks for having me on lovely stuff now i can tell you exclusively breaking news that joe is massively refreshed because in denmark they have an extra day off so joe's been basking in the sun and basically allowing his footballing uh, thoughts to ferment for the last five days so there you go you lot will be the recipients and the beneficiaries of that now before i get into what's going on on the show tonight a massive 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 shout out to the absolute legend that is uh, mark worrell uh also known on Twitter as eight uh, at Gate Seventeen Marco, who, uh, as you probably know if you're on Twitter, I mean he had his had his op this morning to get rid of his kidney stones. I will not go into the detail about this. It is unbelievably horrendous, particularly if you're a man. Uh, but I've seen a photo. He's 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 WhatsApped our little Chelsea fancast group. He has. He's alive and well. Uh, and I, what did, I think that I shall relay your your message actually, his message to. Uh, the listening public, uh, but he says, uh, <laughs> "There's a lovely picture of Marco in his in his hospital gown, looking all right. You know, he's got a few kind of uh, I can't remember what they call them, but the little tubes they put in your wrist to give you stuff." He says, "When I came round after my operation, apparently the first thing I asked was, has Sari been sacked yet?' Yeah. So there you go, Marco's <laughs> on good form. We hope to have him back with us very soon on the show, uh, and we're all sending our love to him because we love him to pieces. Isn't that uh, right, I- Tony?" It is. I don't think they're kidney stones. I think they're kidney diamonds. Yeah, if he's mate. had three or four lots of lithotripsy and that hasn't done a job, Christ, they I must know. be. They're that or they're granite. Some I know, is, mate. You know, daddy, yeah, well, that is. And I've had them, mate. I know how painful that is. It's horrible. It's truly, truly horrible. Marco described it in great detail to me uh, last night on the CFC UK stall. Uh, right, now, without further ado, on the show tonight, uh, another match, another game of two halves. But how much did the injuries to Hudson and Doyen Kante, the woeful refereeing from Kevin Friend, and Burnley's overall shithousery cost Chelsea? In part two, we ask why Sarri can't make innovative changes during the match and confirm what Tony has been saying for months. Chelsea have become Arsenal. Uh, After dropping points at home to Burnley, we revisit Chelsea's chances of finishing in the top four. This is kind of taken on... uh, You know, I think think I'm becoming Arsenal because I've been obsessed with my little spreadsheet for the last month and a half, (laughs) uh, which comically uh has well i'll I'll remove the comically but basically i i list all of the matches left between arsenal man united chelsea and spurs and i have my predictions by the side of them and usually by the time we've been on air it's completely gone wrong so we can have a bit of fun with that because i am rubbish at predicting anything but anyway uh there may be a chance of us finishing in the top four all will be revealed later uh we also take an objective uh, this is especially for paul crowder's benefit we take an objective view on whether or not sarri has improved Chelsea 
And we take a look at which Chelsea players are actually good enough. Uh, prompted by a tweet from Joe. He's probably figured that out already. Uh, now, in part three, we look back at last Thursday's squeaky bum Europa League second leg quarter final against Slavia Prague. And we have a look ahead to next weekend's match against Man United. Does the season really boil down to the result against United next Sunday? I think it probably does. Anyway, in part four, we've got uh, this week's parish notices plus your emails to read out and some questions for us to answer. Lots of fun to be had tonight. Now, don't forget, uh, you can listen to the show live every Monday at seven o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. Uh, and you can also tweet at Chelsea Fancast during the show and tell us what you think about the games and anything else on Chelsea. And while uh, and while I'm there, loads of people in Mixler tonight. So lovely. It's amazing. You know, before we go live, you think well, there's only a few people in there. And the minute we go live, suddenly every, it, it, it's like it's very much like going to Chelsea. You know, now obviously everybody who joins at the last minute as soon as we're on air are like us, Tony, when we're in the pub. You know, they leave. Yeah. I mean, I walk into yeah. gate 17 and I take my seat literally just as the whistle is going for kickoff. You know, that's that's professional. And I, I'm glad to see that our Mixler followers are exactly the same. Anyway, good people in here tonight. There's some bloke called Tony Glover. I think I've heard of him. Uh, Dean Mears is in. He's he, a lovely, I met Dean last night. He bought me a beer. Lovely bloke. Well done, Dean. Good blog. I'll tweet that out later. Vinod's in. Praj, Kurt, uh, Freddie. Drink vodka. If she don't come. Happy Bird. Nigel's there. Mr. Paul Crowder, the absolute legend that is Paul, who phoned us up actually on the Love Sport Friday show a few weeks ago. Always lovely to hear from Paul. Paul is here tonight to bring balance to the force, Tony. Okay, so a bit like I'm. Yeah, you remember the. Paul Paul needs to know I'm not really upset that he's comment about balance oh, no. um, listen mate you know remember that monty python sketch where graham yes. chapman was the the army <laughs> officer and he would like walk onto the set saying i'm sorry but this sketch is getting too silly, silly. yes paul right. crowder yes, is in mixler you. tonight to say i'm sorry but this is getting far too anti-sari we need yeah. to have balance so that's <laughs> yeah. that's paul's job tonight uh glide light bogus in uh oh God, so many that's too many for you to read planet earth is blue matthew d Oh, Marv's in there. Oh, too many. There's loads of you in there. It's always lovely to... You, I tell you what, you, you make this worthwhile, you lot in Mixler. You really do. I mean, I'm so glad I fig- found this thing. The joy of doing this show, knowing that you lot are all listening live and you can interact with, uh, with us, makes it all worthwhile. Anyway, we'll be talking football in a minute. Well, well, well. So, goodness me. I have to say, I have to say, before we get into the nitty-gritty of all of this, and I was saying this to Tony a minute ago, I I really enjoyed last night. I I feel I've been deprived by a monstrous dose of irony this season because, you know, I've, I've been to less home matches than I've been to for 20 years, and I've not done one away match this year. And it's not what you think. I know a lot of people have longed off this season hugely because they just can't stand the football or Sarri or whatever. They feel disconnected, yada, yada, yada. My, my excuse, not that it is one much, but I've, I've been very, very busy working. So I've just missed so much. So I, I feel like I've hardly been. I mean, I've been a lot, frankly, but you know, it doesn't feel like it. And 
I was just so glad to be in the pub last night. I saw Pablo and Sam and uh, Dean Mears, obviously, and we saw... Uh, Oh, who, who else did we see? The, oh, James, uh, the Yanks. We, we saw some other people too. I've got, got Paul, Paul from uh, from Portland, Rick Glanville, Martin Wickham, Nicole, Ken. I mean, you know what I mean, Tony. I mean that that for me is what Chelsea's all about. I do, I do, and I think if that game had been Sunday, I'd have been in that pub with you, yeah. you know, because I wouldn't have given a shit about the next day. But um, you know, I, I think that Monday night. You know what I think about Monday night football. I think mm. it's an abomination. It's the spawn um, of the people, devil, Tony. Yeah, and, and honestly, they've they've subtly shifted it from either a seven thirty or seven forty-five kickoff. It's now eight o'clock, and I just wonder how long it is before it's eight thirty. Um, and people are having to leave early because of trains. Oh, yeah. And there was I saw someone on Twitter today who said that you know they bought their tickets for their their, their seven seven and nine year old kids or whatever. Then it got moved to a Monday, and they've got to go to school today. So that was the end of that, you know. Well, on on the... on a weirdly related note, yep. Um, some I don't know if anybody knows this actually. They might have seen it on Facebook, but uh, our mate Paul Cannaval, who, as I said the other week, and I will do an official announcement via the website soon. But we are the Chelsea Fancast are going to have the Paul Cannaval Foundation as the official. Uh, kind of our charity partner because we love Paul and he does great work with his foundation. Anyway, Paul uh, phoned me up the other week and said, mate, 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 um, I've got a problem. I said, well, what's up, Canners? He said, well, I've been doing some work with this other charity uh, for underprivileged kids. And I mean, these kids are quite, you know, they've had a tough time, a lot of trauma, all sorts of really grim stuff, which I won't go into. He, he says, wait, basically, I promised these three kids that I could get them tickets to Stamford Bridge. And I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, leave it with us. We'll, we'll get four tickets sorted out. Anyway, Dan Silver, and this needs to be said because Dan's not here, so I can absolutely completely embarrass him without without it kind of being too personal. But Dan, just the brilliant bloke that he is, he, 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 he basically, he's got two season tickets and he's, you know some other mates sit next to him as well. So he's got kind of four he can get hold of. And he donated all four tickets to Paul uh, last night. And uh, before the match, I, I met up with Paul and I met the the kids and, you know, their kind of guardian for the night. And, and the look on their little faces uh, about going to their first Chelsea match uh, makes it all worthwhile. I mean, unbelievable. So, so you know, there are some things more important than the football and, uh, and Sky and Sarri and Chelsea. And I think it was really lovely to get a bit of perspective to that. So I know Dan will be listening to this because actually, unlike the rest of us mob on here, he always listens to the fan cast. I love him for that. So Dan, I know you're listening. Uh, the kids were just so made up. Paul was absolutely made up. You made their little lives last night. So I just want to thank you personally for being such a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant bloke. Well done. Okay, uh, speech is over. Um, let's talk about football. Um, so I was talking to you, talking to you about, about this before we went on air, Joe, wasn't I? two fantastic goals i mean i mean it was a it was a nutty old 25 minutes uh but i mean we i thought we played really some lovely football i mean both of those goals were absolutely superb weren't they yeah um i mean you you kind of go behind in the fashion that we did and i think actually the the response was was pretty decent from us it's not something that we've seen enough of this season but that sort of period of, of, of the goals that we scored was was great and i think you know particularly I think we're getting used to seeing it now, you know, people bouncing off Loftus Cheek in midfield as he sort of drove through. I loved, I loved that, mate. Yeah, I loved know, that. He sent did some it, of didn't he? to the gym, you know, on, on the way to the to giving it to, to Hazard. And, you know, Hazard, I mean, one-on-one, one, I don't think there are many better 
in world football than, than, than you know than watching Hazard go one on one with players. And I think that the, the thing that was different from from most of the night was was the intelligent pass to, to Kante. And you know I I think Carragher pointed it out is so often you just see someone just ping a ball in there for someone to sort of run on and, and hit, but he really kind of you know set him up on his left foot because that's where the space was, and it was a really a, a decent finish from Kante. And then. Yeah, you know, Asbury Laqueta, um with the, the 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 little cheeky backflip and after some, some nice play on the right hand side um, from from Higuarin with some good movement in the box and you know it, it was the kind of finish that I, I expect you know Higuarin in his in his prime two three years ago or whatever to, to make but it was an incredible finish um, but yeah I mean those, those two goals were were great and I think you know continuing what you were saying I think largely for the for the first half again. You know, looking at some of the games we've had recently, I think we played we played you know pretty well in patches. That that left hand side with Hazard and Loftus Cheek is is something that I I enjoy watching how they link together and, and how they link up, and particularly with with Emerson as well. Sort of gives a bit of a different dynamic. And I think again, you know, we're sort of seeing Kante continuing to involve. You know, he's get, he's getting into the getting into the area. I think this is the probably the most number of goals he's probably scored in the season in his career. I'd imagine something was yep. going to be pretty close to. Um, definitely. Yeah, is. Lot, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, all in all, I thought the first half was pretty decent. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, but I mean, annoyingly, and I mean, I, this is the really interesting thing because, you know, I was so pissed off because I, I've got a real problem with zonal marking. I'll talk to you about this in a minute, Joe, but because I don't, I don't understand it. So I, we need somebody who knows what they're talking about. It's it. it I, I was saying this to you earlier, wasn't I, Tony? It felt, so familiar that we'd make two yeah. ridiculously stupid mistakes with the zone of marking. Here's a stat for you that you might like, which might um, lay this to rest. Before I say that, though, Tony, this is not the first time that that uh, you know defenses lapses. This is not you can't. I don't think completely attribute this to Sarri. I think you know we've, we've been like this under Mourinho and Conte in the past too. But Chelsea conceded two goals from set pieces, excluding penalties. In a single Premier League game at Stamford Bridge for the first time since May 2011 versus Newcastle. That strikes me as quite a surprise. Uh, yes, it does, actually. Um, because it feels completely different to that, doesn't it? Um, it actually feels like it's a, a proper weakness for us. And um, maybe it isn't. I mean, we all go and we all have our own, um, you know, our own perception of the game. It's, you know, everyone's perception of the game is subjective it is you don't sit in the pub afterwards and go uh, well that goal it started like this and it went like this and then they pass it and then they we don't we just go what a shower shit that was for defensive uh, purposes or or wow what a weldy what that was and, and there, was, there would have been nothing we could have done about it um i'm with you um i i I, I do kind of get zonal marking but when did a zone ever score a goal yeah and um i i I was brought up in an era where you man-marked people. And, um, Touch tight. Yeah, and, and even now, I, you know, I've started playing, you know, because of my, you know, my, my uh, advanced years, I've started playing that, this walking football. And there's, you know, that's all about man-marking, touch tight and all this sort of stuff. Um, mainly because you, no one's allowed to run into a bit of space. But the fact is, it's quite effective. And you therefore, you, you do end up with more crunching tackles. You do end up with a bit of needle and, and whatever. Um, but... Uh, you know, in, I, I, I sort of, I, yeah, I think I'm possibly just a little bit of an old nostalgia freak, and I kind of hark back to the days of, of those, you know, those old defenders who, who, who would basically would almost be inside your shirt 
as it were. Um, and, um, you know, it was a pain in the ass. And you had to have and use every ounce of skill, speed, pace, turn and everything to get away from them and cause the problem and uh, and intelligence. And I just think with this zonal marking, it's too easy. You know, it, it, Do you know what? When I think of zonal marking, do you know what I think of, Chidge? What? Footballers standing with their arms out in the air going, what the hell just happened? Well, mate, I've got to say, I, I, I agree. I mean, I will I will talk to Joe about this in a sec to get the kind of the definitive view. But, you know, I, I just think in I mean, I think it's too I mean, it's too easy to to counter because if you know a team's going to play zonally, then you just make sure you have an extra man in space that they're not going to defend. And that's kind of what happens all the time. That's exactly how uh, the, um, you know, the Ashley Barnes goal was scored. Am I talking about the Ashley Barnes goal? Yeah, I am talking about the yeah, Ashley Barnes goal. Yeah. You know, who was actually in an offside position when the ball was kicked, and then, ra- but obviously not interfering with play technically. So moved back in for the second phase, and and he was just left there on his own. And we've seen that time and time again. Uh, lovely little comments, Joe, from the Mixler peeps. Uh, Glide like Boga has said that apparently we're doing zonal marking because we have short players. And uh, so, and uh, Vinod, I just love this. This is for me. This sums it up, Joe. Vinod says, uh, doing zonal marking because we have short players is like using an expired credit card because you don't have cash on you. Joe? <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it is it solely to blame here? Or or or, or, or the players? Or, or Sarri not, you know? I mean, every look, I, I don't get to use this phrase as much as I used to on the fan cast, but there are people yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who know that Burnley only score set-piece goals. So you would have thought that they would have trained all week with that in mind, Joe. Yeah, I mean, the point about height is is correct. I mean, typically, if, if you have a, a relatively small team compared to your rivals, you you give them just a component or an area of the, of the penalty box to defend. And that, that's, that's all they have to worry about, rather than, you know, someone like, I don't know, uh, Ashley Barnes or the, or the two centre-backs sort of charging at Aspilicueta or Hudson Lloyd, for example. Um, I think in, in theory, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit, I think, to do with, with, with this zone marking, but I also don't think particularly when you look at that starting 11 last night, I mean, where is sort of the height and power in that side? Yeah. You know, you've got, uh, I don't think Christensen is particularly great in the air for a centre-half. Louise is a bit hit and miss. You know, they're not, neither of them are as good as Rudiger. Hasbella Quetta's not great in the air, no one's always Palmieri, and that's your back four. The keeper's not particularly tall. So then you've really no only mid, probably no mid, well, got... Loftus-Cheek in the midfield. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much Loftus-Cheek. He's, and he's the team. And even then, you know, he's he's not the, the greatest in the air. So I, I can kind of see what, what Sarri's trying to do with the zonal system. But the, the sort of the end of the day is is, is Burnley were, were probably three, four, five inches bigger than, than most of the players that they were going up against in terms of in terms of the set pieces. But yeah, I, I, I agree with what Tony said, to be, to be honest with you. You know, zones... Zones don't score goals. And I think, again, you know, if you know that that's how Chelsea defend, typically you, you would probably, you know, kind of group your best headers or the, the best the best sort of people who are heading in your team to certain areas. And then all you do as an opposition is just move your move your best headers, you know, pe- people who can head best deeper. So, yeah. you know, someone like Van Dijk, instead of him sort of charging in maybe into the middle, he, he sees that there's two centre-backs there. So he just peels on the back of Pedro or or whoever is, is defending a little bit narrower. Um it's, it's, it's for me. It's not a great system. I can see why he's employing it because it, it is typically what you do with a small team. But if you don't have people who can head the ball over, which I don't think we do, I don't think we're blessed aerially um, compared to you know. I mean, you go back historically. We've we've been able to send six, seven people into a, into a you know an attacking corner. Each of them probably have got you know an equal probability of scoring. Now we I don't think we're really that 
that much of a threat from set pieces. And I think it shows defensively. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I it's partly to do so. with height and I think partly to do with the players as well. Indeed. I mean, it's really interesting, actually, Tony and Joe. I mean, I'd be, I'd be lovely to do some analysis of this. I mean, there are people out there who do this kind of thing. Sometimes it's Joe, actually. I've noticed. <laughs> but, um, it would be lovely to try and to go back to the, the era when Hoddle had a team full of midgets and see how we did at set pieces then. I, to be honest, I can't remember. It's too long ago, but I wonder what happened then because you, you would have thought that the same issue was a problem then with all the short short players, Tony. You would have done. Um, you would have done. Uh, I, 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 being vertically challenged myself. Oh, well, I can't um, exactly. I mean, apparently, if you saw my uh, Instagram <laughs> post last week with, with uh, me pictured with the legend that is Eden Hazard, uh, the nicest remarks were that I'm the same height as him. Which really? is another way, another really, way of yeah. saying I'm vertically challenged well, too, I, Tony. I, I, I must admit, I found it incredible when I found that the Hazard's got a 27-inch inside leg that's two inches shorter than mine. That's incredible. But that's to do with his low centre of gravity, apparently. I mean, he must be a bucket of buy trousers, for that's all I can say. But well, so, he, he, he must have a very long body then, because my inside yes. leg's 30. Yeah. You yeah, see, and I'm the same probably, height as him. He has. He's kind of got that extended weirdo. See, uh, that's why I never made it as a footballer. Now, yeah, now I know. Yeah. Yeah, so but, there you go. Anyway, um, I, we digress. I think, yeah, I mean, I go back to the days. I mean, um, I think when I when I was a a, a young and aspiring footballer, um, uh, you know, I, it never impacted me in in any way. But then I was a winger. Uh, you know, I was I was out on the wing, left or right, and um, you know, I, I rarely ever went for headers. A bit like Hazard, really. I'd go for the headers, knowing I had no, absolutely no chance. And and then you know, back in those days, I wasn't asked or expected to defend. There was no can you get back and help out in the defensive phase because we had defenders to do that. And um, I know the game has moved on, and it's all much more utilitarian, and players should be able to play in any position and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, I've just seen an interesting um, thing on, on actually on um, the. Uh, in Mixalar, which is, you know, Conti used to kind of mix and match the zonal and man marking thing. And we seem to have shifted away from that. And, and you know, people um, will, of, you know, anybody who's, who's met me will know I was a, a big fan of Conti. And I, I, I thought he genuinely knew all about managing players and, and, and the club and, and, and what it takes to win. Um and so the complete abandonment of it, I think you, you know, you're going to touch on it later on, which is this lack of flexibility, lack of adaptability um, on on the manager's part. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, and I think the players are, are kind of caught between, t- they're caught in two minds, I think. Well, I, I think I think that's a good... Was, Go on, I mate, think, sorry. You know, I, mean, I think, you know, they're, they're, I know we're going to touch on a lot of stuff about Burnley later on, but, you know, Burnley... The first goal, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, you, that's like saying, well, you should have closed him down. But then every time a player scores from 20 yards... Bit of a fluke, go, mate. Come on. Well, maybe it was. But then you look at other players who, who've, who've scored from, from that sort of range and you could say, that's, you know, I mean, Jordan Henderson did it against us. He's probably never, ever going to do it again. But he did it against us. Um, and I don't think you can always cater for the fact that occasionally a player is going to have an absolute, you know, smash one well, in like that. And I... I, I so I, I'm not looking defensively and saying that was a. a well, if you, could, I may, if you you could point the finger at Aspie there because he you, could have you, headed he could have headed it anywhere but back you, into you could, to the danger area. And then I remember losing, you know, the game we lost to Barcelona or we, when we drew with Barcelona when years ago when Michael Essien only had to stick it in Rose yeah. Ed and didn't. Yeah, you know, I know. exactly. Um, so you know, players make those sort of for a second goal. 
that was that was, Sh- that shocking. was PlayStation defending, wasn't it? That was mm. that kind of thing that uh, what's his name, uh, Gary Neville alluded to. You know what is Ashley Barnes, and and you know as much as people want to slag him off, that guy has got some spirit and some fight about him. That's for certain. Um, and I was just a bit surprised to see such an you know. I mean, when it went in, there was a kind of sense of inevitability in my head. I just thought, oh, you know, blimey. Well, why am I why am I not surprised? Because I absolutely wasn't surprised. Um, but yeah, I. I I go back to that thing. I think when you've got a height issue, have we really got a height issue? Is, is Rudiger short? Is Louis no. short? No, but I mean, I think I think the point the point earlier was was valid. Is that I think Rudiger's a beast. He's a proper old school centre half. Whereas Louise and Christensen, although they are tall, are going to get beaten more times in the air on a set piece than they're going to win. And I and I don't know why. It could be attitude. Who knows? Uh, I yeah, mean, Christensen's very tall and slim. He's not got a lot of bulk, so. He's not imposing. And, of course, Burnley are big, hulking, great big buggers. You know, the, nothing gets in the way of them. So there is a bit of that. I mean, you know, it's very interesting what you were saying, Tony. And I, I, if, if I was manager, and, I mean, let's face it, I don't have any – I don't even have scout badges, let alone UA for coaching badges. But, uh, you know, that mix and match policy seems quite sensible, Joe. You know, in other words, if you've got three tall buggers, you make sure that they man-mark their biggest guys and then you leave the rest zonally to pick up anybody else, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, the, the best example of this is, is Didier Drogba. Yeah. When uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, he was probably the best player at heading a ball we had in the entire squad. Did you ever see him marking anyone at corners? You didn't. He no. was always at the front of the uh, the first zone. Yes. Because more, more often than not, I mean, we've seen it, you know, with, with our own team, but everyone else, most Premier League players can't take a corner. So Drogba would be at the front post and he'd head every, every single thing away. So, you know, you have this sort of mixture of, of let's say, like key zones where you just want people who, who are the best at heading in the team. And then maybe you you, you kind of go man for man elsewhere. But yeah. it's something that we've seen before. And I think particularly when we had Drogba and, and Terry and Ivanovic and players like that, maybe it was a bit easier. But Drogba definitely is, is the player that springs to mind who... He literally was was just defending his own at corners, and it worked really well. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree. It's, it's it's interesting actually. A lot of people are on, on, on Mixler are saying that uh, you know we perhaps we could have played Cahill instead of Louise or um, yeah or Christensen. And funny enough, I was saying the same last night to the. It was a very nice chap actually. Some new people sitting next to me, very chatty. Enjoyed talking to them and uh, explaining them to them the rules of football. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> The bottom line is, is that this would have been a game right up Cahill's alley. He's a hairy ass centre half, and he'll love that challenge. But there you go. Um, listen, the bottom line is, uh, let's move moving this on a bit. Uh, in spite of the, the, you know, I think two very poor goals to concede, uh, we still had the entire second half to win that game. Um, now I can come out with a whole load of stats, which I will do probably at the end of this about Burnley and and actually why. In a, in a sense, this is no shame or embarrassment. But I do wonder, I do wonder, to be fair to Sarri and, 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 and the players, how much, Joe, uh, you know, the two injuries disrupted things. Because, of course, Kante scored a marvellous goal and was the only one really in the team, let alone uh, the midfield, that can provide that kind of dynamism and energy which puts people on the back foot. And, of course, hudson Adoy. You know, again, it can scare the life out of defenders by just running at them. And we lost both of them. And I wonder if that really did hamper our ability to break down an incredibly disciplined, well-organised and stubborn Burnley in the second half. Yeah, no, I, I would I would definitely agree with that. And, I, you know, I don't think necessarily that, that Hudson-Odoi was having a, 
and an amazing game. But the, the thing that he offers you, which we don't have kind of on William or, or Pedro play there, but he, he gives you genuine width. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you need to do, particularly when you're playing a team, you want to sit compact and, and, and play in a low block, sit on the edge of their penalty areas. If you can't stretch them vertically, i.e. sort of bring them up and create space to sort of play the ball over the top, you've got to try and stretch them sort of horizontally across the pitch. And that's one of the things that he always does is, you know, hugs the touchline and, and you actually see when he plays, you know, it's, it's probably one of the only occasions that Aspilicueta starts overlapping, Kante gets forward, you know, it's it's a whole different dynamic to the team, even if he's not individually sort of, you know, beating his man and putting crosses in all the time. I think just the threat and just because of his positional sense, you know, it stretches them. And I think, again, with Kante, you know, I think Kante and Loftus-Cheek balance each other up quite, quite nicely because when Kante plays, it gives Loftus-Cheek a little bit more licence to go forward and, and to be a bit more progressive and a bit more forward-thinking without necessarily having to not be completely concerned about his defensive duties, but, you know, not be sort of as mindful of them if he's playing with a Kovacic or someone else. And I think actually first half he was playing particularly well. And when you're playing a team who are physical, who want to get in your face and who want to sort of, you know, try and mix it up with you, Kante's great because you know that he's always going to be in there for the tackles and he was, he's always going to win possession and, you know, his sort of recovery runs and stuff are, are really, really effective. And I think as soon as both of them went off, you could see the dynamic change. I think when Pedro came on, you know, that, you know, I'm not, not going to sort of dig into him too much, but he he was pretty, you know, pretty ineffectual for the entire game. And likewise, I think Kovacic, you know, did, did his sort of usual thing of being neat and tidy, but not necessarily having the dynamism that, that Kante provides. So mm. I think that they were both, they were both huge losses for different reasons. But yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those things. And uh, you know, looking into some of the stuff we're touching on a little bit later in terms of how good is the squad, you know, you just look at the substitutes coming on and, and what kind of effect they had. And, and maybe that sort of gives you a little bit of the answer that I'm probably going to give later. Well, I, I'm let, let, let's keep our powder dry. But I think, yeah. you know, even even already and talking about the zonal marking and stuff is a, is a really good example of this. You know, I think there's, you know, the the real question, which will probably run through this show tonight is, is it Sarri or is it the players? I mean, yeah. you know, without kind of like ruining the punchline in, in, in life, I've learned that it's nearly always a bit of everything. Yeah. It's never, never one or the other. But I think it's already becoming clear. And actually, let's, let's, I just want to pick up on this Hudson-Odoi injury because the weird thing is, guys, I mean, I, I was there obviously last night and, you know, it, it, I mean, we know it was innocuous, no challenge at all. And that quite often happens when you pop your Achilles. But I had absolutely no idea of the severity of the injury at all. You know, he kind of walked around the touchline to come off. But no, I, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm a long way away from it, to be fair, because it was happening on the completely opposite mm. end of the pitch to me. But nobody around me seemed to be going, oh, that's really awful. But the reality is, um, as we found out, uh, he, he is now out for the season. Um, I did a bit of reading about this last night because, I mean, Tony will back me up on this. When, when we were growing up, uh, you know, an Achilles... He ruptured Achilles' heel quite often finished a player's career, didn't it, Tony? Yes, and and as did an ACL. Yeah. Um, and I think we've seen it before with, um, you know, in, in sort of more recent times, Michael Owen was never the same player after his ACL problems. Um, Shearer um, gave up England, didn't he, to concentrate just yeah. on Newcastle. Changed so his he game knew, too. Changed, changed his, his game, game completely. But yeah. I always remember Kerry Dixon um, did his, and he was never the same when he came back. And I think as much as anything else, it's a there's a, a mental issue because every time you come back as a player, every time you're going to get a twinge in that knee 
Okay, and I think it's the same with, with this kind of injury. There was two things that puzzled me. Um, well, one thing that puzzled me intensely was why did they make him walk around the pitch? No, maybe they didn't realise it was ruptured. That's the trouble. Uh, why? But they why they should the know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 this is this is this is the thing I have is when people go, I didn't want to call an ambulance because it didn't seem serious, yeah. and you know, two days later, they're dead of heart attack. Well, call Mate, a fucking ambulance. I, I, I don't know. I I really you know, don't know. I mean, I remember it's talking. Kind of, Surely, surely it's better to have a false positive, you know, and actually yeah, yeah, say, okay, well, actually, you know what? We didn't need to carry him around, but we did. And he's walked around. So you you, you don't walk off an Achilles injury. And, and I just think that was a little bit of a strange decision. We were saying, I was sitting there watching at the time, people on Twitter were going, what are they making him walk around the pitch for? It, it, we don't know what's wrong with him yet. Um, but I think from Hudson Adoy's perspective, um, uh, so it, 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 one thing, did it cost us the game? Um, it, it possibly, you know, that and, and Canter. Yeah, I mean, it did. But again, we, we, you're going to touch on the uh, the kind of inflexibility and, and the inability to change in, uh, within the game. Um, but um, as it will it have an impact on Chelsea's running for Hudson? I don't think it will because he's only had this his fourth or fifth start. I think yeah. uh, we are we we are where we are and we were where we were with without him. Um, um, so I'm not convinced that it's going to make that much of a difference. Um, it certainly does throw into doubt any any transfers because you've put a very interesting set of um, stats on here, and none of them are good. <laughs> well, I, let, let, let let me go into that, mate. I mean, I, I just want just want to pick up on 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 the because I I, I I don't know why, mate. I was probably bored or still pumped up from having to drive back very fast last night, but. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of reading about uh, Achilles injuries because my fear, remembering what we used to know when we were younger, you know, that it was co- quite often a career-ending injury. So I did a lot of reading about this. And, you know, basically, um, you know, I remember also I had a chat with Paul Mortimer, uh, who I'd done a lot of uh, Love Sport presenting with. Paul used to play for Charlton amongst other clubs. And he told me about when he did his ace, his, his Achilles. And, it's like being shot in your heel. You feel it's like you're being kicked, and quite often, I mean, I, I read about Beckham when he did his at AC Milan, and and when he did it, he looked round to see who had kicked him, but there was nobody anywhere near him. So it's like, and you get this intense pain for about thirty seconds, and then basically your foot won't work. So that's what I mean when I say I can't understand why they didn't think he'd ruptured it. So maybe you yeah. can deduce from that that perhaps it hasn't completely ruptured. Who knows? But the reality is is that if you're going to deal with an Achilles injury, which you normally always do through surgery if, it, if it's torn or ruptured, then you need to be operated on within two days. Yeah. And the, what I've heard, of course, the news came out tonight, that he's, he's going under the knife tonight. So he'll be within that 48 hours, which is good news. Um, and then it's can I, really... Can I just- Go on there, yeah, yeah. Go on, mate. Uh, what I want to say is, is, and I can see DME is saying, well, you know, it was, it was, he, no one made him walk around the pitch. Well, they should have stopped him, yeah. okay. And all I'm saying is, they are medics, okay. They should have said to him, "You're 18. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. We're carrying you around the pitch, or we're going to stretch you around the pitch." Yes, yeah. you might feel that it's a bit in, undignified. I don't really care. You know, he 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 would have been pointing. He would have said the pain is there. Now, if someone says to you, and you're a trained medic, and they say they point at their Achilles tendon and go, the pain's there, you should assume the worst. Surely you should be sitting there thinking, fuck me, this could be his Achilles tendon. We ain't going to take any chances, stretcher round or carry him round. And even if he's an 18-year-old gobshite, which he isn't, right, but if he was, you say, shut your mouth, son, you're doing as you're told. Okay, and that's their job. And I'm, I'm really, really just yeah. a little bit. The more I think about it, the more I think you, you haven't helped that situation. 
You have. You can't walk off an Achilles tendon. You cannot. No, no, I, I agree. But the reality is that's what happened. But it's it's now all about how he recovers. And half the battle with an Achilles injury is, as I said, it's the early treatment of it, the early operation. And then it's all about how much scar tissue you, you build up because that's what inhibits the movement. And the thing is, Joe, I mean, there's, number one, let's talk about how long he's going to be out for. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you follow Ben Dinnery uh and the physio room on twitter joe but they're the best people for you know a similar you know kind of getting together mm. all the injury news and ben's brilliant and he put this tweet up last night about average uh recovery time for uh, achilles injuries he said the average is 219 days that's just over seven months about seven and a half months <clears throat> and uh he, he listed a lot of the recent uh Achilles injuries in the Premier League or further afield. Uh, Yarmolenko, uh, he's been out for 140 days and counting. Bravo, 245 days and counting. Koscielny, 207 days. That's when he came back. Leroy Fur, 189 days. Nathan Dyer, 222 days. So the reality is, if he's out for seven and a, and a bit months, he's he's you know he's not going to be back until next year. So uh, and that's if it goes well. I mean. Number one, it's all about the recovery, as I said, and he is young, but I wonder how strong he is. You know, his legs are pretty kind of twig-like, so who knows? But the, So my biggest fear at the moment, Joe, is is will he be the same player? Because there's plenty of evidence to say that when you've had a really nasty Achilles, even though it doesn't end your career like it used to when Tony and I were young, it might restrict some movement and certainly some pace. That's a real worry, mate, at his age. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that he's got going in his favour, I mean, I, I had a, a similar injury when I was 16, um, completely ruptured my, my left Achilles. And I think... See, see thing, Joe, Joe could have been the next hudson Doy, mate. You, you don't know yeah, what we've missed here. Definitely, yeah, but maybe not so much of football. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, I think the fact that he, he stood up, was putting weight on it and trying to stretch it out to me, hopefully suggested it, it's not that bad. Because I remember I, I, I literally couldn't move. Um, I, I couldn't stand, yeah. I couldn't put any weight on I, I, I literally couldn't do anything with it. So I think they'll, they'll need to judge the, the severity of it first of all. But I think given his age, you know, I mean, I, I, I was looking into a lot of reports about sort of NBA players who've had similar injuries and, you know, given sort of the change of direction, the explosion in, in terms of the athleticism and stuff like that. They normally say it's sort of in the first year, you'll notice probably a, a decline in sort of some of the, the physical attributes, but normally after the second year, sort of in recent surgeries, players get back to sort of level of play that they were previously. So I'm, I'm hopeful when his fingers crossed that, you know, that it's not a super severe rupture and that, you know, he can, he can come back as he's young, you know, I mean, he's going to be, you know, 19, 20, when hopefully by the time he's recovered, he's got plenty of time on his side to, to sort of heal up and, and recover that he'll be the, he'll be a, the, the similar player. And I'm, I'm hopeful again, obviously, given the sort of modern surgery and, and everything that, that he can recover with, I think Tony mentioned it there with with as little scar tissue as, as possible because that's going to be the the thing that that, that really sorts of uh, you know kind of determines sort of what what kind of athletic profile he's going to have when he comes back. And I think it was it might have been Michael Ballack who who had to actually have an additional surgery on top of an an ankle surgery that he had a little while ago to actually clean up the scar tissue from from the first surgery. So I'm hopeful that that's not the case that he needs sort of multiple <clears throat> surgeries to remove scar tissue and all this sort of stuff. So hopefully it's just you know, one and done, and then he can focus on his recovery well, because, yeah. Indeed. No, go on, mate. I mean, it's just that, you know, 
Um, a lot of that is going to be down to genetics. You know, genetics exactly, determines yeah. how much scar tissue you develop. I get, you know, my mum, who you know is a good footballer, not quite as good as Hudson Odoi, <laughs> certainly a little bit older. But she had a knee replacement, as people of her age quite often do. But she's never had anything like full movement of her knee afterwards because in fact she's had it she had it done twice that's how bad it was but the reason was because she had so much scar tissue which prevented mm. the the joint from moving in the way it was so really it's just down to luck it's down to genes i, I tell you one thing though tony i mean the, the thing that was uh, this sounds a bit churlish because frankly the only thing we should really be concerned about is the future of this young lad's uh, career and whether, whether he will come back uh, as a young player and i i just hope and pray that he does because he's such an exciting prospect but it's got to cast the Bayern uh, Munich move in doubt hasn't it oh yeah yeah they're not going to take a chance on on that and I don't think there are many clubs um that are similar to us that buy crocs yeah. <laughs> um although we have got a good record of um you know repairing the the kind of um the dodgy work of other clubs we seem to have done a fantastic job of Ross Barkley for example who um you know is well documented you know, was 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 being continue, constantly treated by Everton, and they they seem to have completely misdiagnosed or got it wrong. Um, and uh, and I think that's that is, uh, you know, uh, credit to our people. Um, but I think that's probably going to close it down. Um, you know, thirty five million they were talking about bidding on a player with um, an uncertain future. No, yeah. not going to happen. I would say that um, his big 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 advantage, and Joe's sort of touched on it here is he's 18, okay? And time is a fantastic way of um, helping you to forget those kind of traumas in the past. So I think if you're, if you're a 28-year-old player and you have an ACL or a, uh, an Achilles, you know, every little twinge after that is going to hold your game back, even a fraction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your mental recovery is as important yeah. as the physical that, and that's, you're right. That's, that's, that's the thing. And I think... It's confidence 18, in it. Yeah, I think at 18... Um, he's got a much, much better chance of not having that mental uh, hangover um, of, of the injury than, than he would have done if he was older. And like, you know, you know as well as I do, the older you are, the longer it takes to recover. You you are always casting one eye to the future and thinking, do I really want to be crocked? And, and yeah. you know, we've, we've seen it. Um, you know, in light of uh, Tommy Smith dying last week, I think it, it was... Um, wasn't it? It was. It was the fact that after he retired from football, I mean, he was more or less wheelchair bound because they just used to basically stick some steroid yeah, injections I in his know. knees and send him out to play again. And things have moved on a lot better. And I think mentally, you know, uh, the the club have they, you know, they've they've probably got people like you, psychotherapists there, people who can work on the other side of things. Um, and I think that's that's his best, you know, better to get this injury now when it's, you know, uh, got a much better when the tissue is still can regenerate better and everything like that. So I'm more positive about it. But, you know, I don't want to see him back in 60 days. Mm, indeed. I'll tell you one, one other thing, of course, that's occurred to me is that if he's out until, I don't know, January, February next season, uh, the club have always stated that only one of him or Hazard would go. So I wonder if that means that it's more likely that Hazard will stay. We shall see. Now, I'm going to move on because loads to talk about and we're, we're already 43 minutes in. Um, let's talk about... Uh, you know, it's quite interesting because Tony and I got into a bit of a tiff last night. Completely, I tell you what, it just shows you what a load of arse gravy Twitter is. Yes, because it is, I, yeah. I was at the game. You know, no nuance, no fucking context. Right. I, I was at the game, and of course, as you may or may not know, we now have. Uh, you see, don't, you know, Joe, Joe's missing all of this. We now have. Uh, we can get online, mate. We get Wi-Fi where we sit. 
Yes. So, yeah, exactly, mate. That's why they're putting the prices up. Anyway, the bottom line is, is that I can do the occasional tweet if I feel so disposed. And I was quite annoyed. I don't like Kevin Friend anyway. I'll be honest with you. Uh, And of course, I was quite quite near to the incident where, um, you know, Pedro was clearly fouled. I think it was by Bennett. I mean, he was clearly dragged down. Certainly the angle from where I was, it looked absolutely blatant. And, of course, on air on, on Sunday on the Love Sport Fans Forum show that I do, uh, you know, we, I saw Salah throw himself uh, to the ground as if he'd been shot and was starring in Platoon. And, you know, I, I, I lost my shit about it. And, you know, I, I, I very nearly said a naughty word on, uh, on, on live radio. But, um, you know, and it just didn't... I, just, I mean, Kevin Friend just completely ignored it. And I just thought if that was Salah, the guy would have been bloody sent off. You know, so anyway, I tweeted something along the lines of Kevin Friend is a walking advert for birth control, which I thought was quite tame, really. Uh, and then, of course, then, you know, then, then of course, I, I just carried on watching the game and then drove home. It takes me about an hour and a half to drive home. And then by the time I got home, this massive almighty bloody row had erupted on Twitter all yeah. about making excuses for Chelsea because you can't blame it on Kevin Friend being rubbish. We were And I thought, what? What is going on? And I... I basically tweeted tony said mate i didn't that was not my point no. at all you know blah, blah 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 but the reality is you know we can't blame kevin friend i mean he's always awful there's no doubt about that and i'll tell you another thing we can't blame either i've seen a lot of this excuse monkery today you know <laughs> the, the, you know we, we support and love a club particularly the people who are who are quite kind of nonplussed by sarri shall we say and this idea of playing possession football and trying to be like barcelona we used to love and pride ourselves in being a shithouse team that would use any means at our disposal to yes. disrupt play, waste time. Yes. I mean, you know, we talked about this on the show the other week, the fact that Mourinho actually, you know, had plans and coached all the players on how to waste time when we beat Liverpool 2-0 to go and deny them the title. So, you know, this is what we do. So we can't now turn around and say, well, Burnley around. I thought David Luiz, I have to say, it was disgraceful last night yeah, calling them was... anti-football. That's pathetic. I expect well, that of an Arsenal from, player, not of a Chelsea player. No, from a man who played in that Champions well, exactly. League final, yeah. exactly. where we, where we, where we completely and and what we did was we shit house that game perfectly because we knew we weren't as good as Bayern, yeah, exactly. and we had every possible disadvantage with players out. Ivanovic was out, wasn't he? And and Kaya was basically playing on one leg, and as far as I remember, Louise even was yep. was, was was hadn't got over his injury. So to come out with that shit last night was. Uh, it just makes us, yeah, I, I'm going to say it, it just Small makes time. us look like real sulky bad losers. Yeah. Get yourself three goals up, then the ref can be as big of wanker as you like, okay? He ain't going to make any difference. Learn to defend, right? And you take all of those refereeing, you know, idiocy and stupid um, uh, decisions away from you, okay? Because referees don't often overturn a three-goal lead, so, so the other team gets that doesn't happen very often. We've had some rare occurrences, I guess, with that because someone's about to lob that one at me. I, I would just say that, um, you know, if if we've turned in, you know, Jamie Carragher last night, you wouldn't have seen this shit because oh, you know, you weren't watching on Sky. Jamie Carragher made a very, very, very good point. Um, he said, I like to see different types of football. Yep. And if everybody is trying to play this this fast-paced, you know, Sarri ball, Pep Guardiola, Barcelona-style football, not everybody's going to be able to do it well, and it's not going to look good and whatever. He, he was basically saying there was nothing wrong with the Chelsea of old. That's what he, he didn't yeah, say, but it's exactly what he, was, he meant. And I was sitting there thinking... 
you know, you're a scout, so I don't like you, but he, he was absolutely bang on. And I've heard Neville say things like that before as well, where they've said, you know, you can say what you like about Chelsea. Um, and, and everybody wants us to play this yeah, wonderful, you know, football dressage, as I call it. Um, but, you know, we are still the biggest trophy hall team in the last 15 years or whatever, playing the way we played and, 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 and winning sometimes in style, sometimes by shit out of three. Who cared? Well, um, it was about winning. It was. And we've had bad refereeing decisions before. Um, you know, so I, I just think that, you know, everything about last night, um, you know, whenever you start doing that, what about, what about Kevin Friend? What about Ashley Barnes? What about all that? It just absolutely detracts from um, an, an impotent second half performance from us. I totally agree, Joe. I mean, I, I kind of secretly quite like Burnley and Sean Dyche for that. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm serious, no, man. I do. I'll, 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 I'll call I like it him. out, you know. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of time for him, and I, I don't care about that. That's football, mate. It's it all. It's it's all football, and you know, fair play to them. I mean, I tell you what, Joe. You know, again, talking a bit, a little bit about uh, not making excuses, um, and I think this speaks of our entitlement as supporters. To be honest, you know. I mean, I know, I know that their record at Stamford Bridge is beyond appalling, but then I think we need to understand the context of the last 10, 15 years when we've been nigh on unbeatable at Stamford Bridge. But, um, you know, Burnley have only lost four of their past 15 league fixtures, uh, winning eight and drawing three. And if you base uh, on their results in 2019 prior to the weekend... Burnley would be fifth in the table, one point ahead of Chelsea on points they've won. So that's they are tough. not idiots. They are not idiots, but that's the way they do it. I have no problem with that, Joe. No, absolutely none at all. And, and going back on some of the stuff that Tony said, I, I remember listening to Ashley Cole speak recently. I, I can't remember if it was on BBC <laughs> or Sky. And he was talking about you know time-wasting and stuff like that. He, he would give himself a, like a personal target during the game. If we're winning, I'm, I want to try and take 30 seconds every throw in, take a minute to take a free kick. Like he, he'd try and get five minutes in a game. You know, th- those were the things that Mourinho was telling him to do, to waste, you know, to blatantly yeah. waste time. And we've, we've done it even when we were, you know, smashing teams in sort of the Mourinho days. So for people to then, you know, I, I actually think Dyche made a really interesting point at the end of the game because I think Heaton got booked in like the first half of an hour, which I've... Yeah. You know, which maybe is, is fair enough, but the, the point he made was that Kepper was taking longer to take kicks. It's just that, you know, because he's actively looking to pass the ball out from the back and start, you know, start to build up play from the fullbacks or the centre backs, that for some reason that's allowed. But his goalkeeper, you know, taking 20 seconds when Kepper takes 30 for some reason is, is frowned upon. So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit interesting in terms of sort of the optics of the situation when, when we're trying to sort of play slightly better football. But no, I mean, I, I, I just generally agree with that. I think. You know, sort of the the, the complaints that we that we sort of uh, were making last night were, as as Tony said, you know, covering up really, you know, which was a fairly inept sort of second half performance. And yeah, you know, there there were some moments which were dodgy, but you know, I mean, they they go with you and against you throughout the course of the season. So you know, it, it's one of those things. But you know, to to sit there and to sort of bemoan a, a style of football which we've been very successful with or had success with in the past, I think yeah, you're right. Speaks to the entitlement of fans and. You know, it, 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 I just think it, it panders to to the uh, to the players somewhat. You know, Luis's comments after the game were were, were borderline ridiculous, to be honest. Yeah, in terms definitely. of you know, his, you know, sort of disgust for the style of play that Burnley played. I've always felt, you know, if if you're if you're that good, then you should be able to beat you know whatever sort of style of, of, of plays put in front of you. Barcelona have done it for you now however many years. Everyone plays the same way against them. They they tend to beat them. So. 
You know, just just be better than the opposition instead of moaning about it after the game. Mm, indeed. Uh, now, you you two boys might be in a much better position to comment on this because uh, I, I, you know, in true Wenger style, I didn't see it. It's difficult for me. Tony, will, uh, Joe will understand this better than than Tony actually. But where I sit, you yeah. can't really see what's going on on the bench and in the dugout because uh, oh. you're too too far back. But uh, so I missed all of this, and uh, but I got home to find out that uh, Sarri had been sent off. Uh, Sean Dyche is a racist. Zola was embarrassed to say what he'd said. I mean, it was all kicking off. Uh, I don't mind which one of you wants to comment on this. I presume whoever thinks they saw more of it. I don't know. Tony, do you want to comment? Well, what I happened? Sarri was getting, um, for him, um, uh, more and more a- animated. Uh, you know, this is for a bloke who, you know, we've all got theories about what he's, you know, whether he's writing his shopping list down in his little book when we score goals or whatever. Um uh, and he, you know he's not the most emotive of people by the side of the pitch, but he was constantly moving out of the technical area. He was moving in this almost at some point standing next to Sean Dyche. Right now, that's quite brave in itself because I wouldn't spill Sean Dyche's pint myself. Right, because I reckon he could probably handle himself. And um, there was obviously a little bit of needle going on there. Um, uh, whatever happened, it was the fourth official. Sarri patently didn't, and Joe, correct me if you if you think I'm wrong, but Sarri didn't seem to understand that he'd been sent off. I no. think he, he, he th- I think he thought he was being told to sit down. Yeah, go he went, back to where he was standing, basically. Yeah, yeah. and he Just, went back, and and the fourth official was like saying, "No, no, I mean, off, out you go," and he did actually pick up his fags. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and his lighter. And he's like, <laughs> and I mean, it was, you couldn't kind of make it up. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I, it's the premiership and, and whatever, whatever Burnley was saying, you know, you're going to get that sort of stuff and you're going to get far worse sometimes from your own fans. So I think, you know, the, the idea that you should lose your rag over what you're being called, uh, you know, I've seen it once. I saw it once with Steve Grizovich, who absolutely lost his shit once um, when I was in the, I think I was in the shed, uh, shed lower, um, when he played with Coventry, and I, he just completely lost it because we kept calling him Elephant Man all through the game. He was just getting <laughs> constant, constant Elephant Man jokes and songs and what have you. Um, but you know, you're a professional footballer, and you know others get far, far worse. And when you look at some of the racist taunts that people get, and they manage to switch themselves off. Um, and 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 do the best thing they can, which is by you know scoring goals or, or actually winning. Um, yeah, so I think Sarri was, uh, he's been caught out. I think it's just, it, do you know, uh, this is going to sound like an anti-Sarri comment. It, it's not really meant to be, but his inexperience, his utter inexperience, kind of showed through there a little bit. I think because many other coaches must take that sort of stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, he didn't seem to know what was going on. Joe, if you want to add anything in there. No, I think, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, the only the only sort of funny thing to, to add on that was for some reason. I don't know if it seemed like to you, but Antonio Rudiger just popped up in the middle oh, of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't know where he came from or whatever, but there was a melee and then all of a sudden Rudiger sort of appeared magically in the middle and was yes. for some reason having it out with one of the uh, Bernie coaches or assistants yeah. or whatever. But I mean, apart from that, it was just, yeah, yeah. just a bit bizarre it, it, way into it, the game. It, it, it had a touch of the Apollo Creed, uh, trying to get in between Rocky Balboa and, and the, the yes. big Russian bloke. He thought, yeah, like, where, where do you come from? Like, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I like Riddick. I actually think he would make a much better captain because he's, he's yeah. 
he seems to be full of attitude. And, and someone said to me, and I got I think it was JK, he said, oh, it's the wrong sort of attitude. It was like the last one I was on. And I completely misinterpreted um, what, what JK was saying. You know, he's got the attitude. He will shout and he's got that kind of uh, temper. He looks as frustrated as the fans. And honestly, you know, when I said I wouldn't spill Sean Dyche's pint, I wouldn't spill Tony no. Woodley's pint either because he really looked like... he looked, um, Who was that fat, um, trying to think? Not Sugar Ray Leonard... He had a touch of the Nigel Benz about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, I love him. He gets angry, mate, and he shows yeah, yeah, yeah. it. And I, I, he's got fight about. It. I like him a lot, actually. And I, I would, I mean, much as I love, you know, Cesar Aspilicueta, who's been a fantastic servant for the club. Uh, let's face it, he's not the real captain anyway, because Cahill was the club captain. The only reason Aspie's got it is because, of course, Cahill's been banished to Ulaanbaatar. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Ru- Rudiger, for me. You know, he's got to be captain next season. He's captain material anyway. Uh, my final point on, on this is just to say that Ashley Barnes is still a wanker. All right. OK. Right. In part two, uh, we're going to ask why Sarri can't make uh, innovative changes during the match and confirm what Tony has been saying for months. And that is that Chelsea have become Arsenal. And after dropping points at home to Burnley, we revisit Chelsea's chances of finishing in the top four via Chidge's all singing, all dancing, multicoloured spreadsheet and uh, we also take an objective view on whether or not Sarri has improved Chelsea and we take a look at which Chelsea players are actually good enough we'll see you very soon Chidge JK in all the years you've been following Chelsea you hardly ever miss a match home or away but how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV oh Chidge I'd be bereft inconsolable the thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match... And they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month. And you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Ginge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. 
Welcome back. This is Stanford Chidge. You're listening to the Chelsea Fancast Part 2. And uh, I have with me the wonderful Mr. Glover. Good evening. Uh, bonjour. Buongiorno. And uh, aided and abetted by the absolute legend that is Mr. Joe Tweedy, who I miss terribly in Gate 17, Joe. <laughs> I have nobody to go and annoy at half-time anymore with absolute nonsense. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why you went to Denmark, mate. Get away from me. <laughs> Get away, can't yeah. Say it. Yeah, can't say it. Now, now I've invited you back on the podcast. There's no bloody escape, mate. <laughs> but always great to have you on the show with your uh, your intelligence and wit. So there you go. Um, now, just a quick plug for the Chelsea Fancast website. Uh, Dean Mears is in Mixler at the moment. has put up a splendid blog that's already got people's blood up. Uh, Dean's quite a fan of Sarri, which goes down like a... Uh, a cup of cold sick in some quarters on Chelsea Twitter. Uh, and I can tell you now that uh, the lovely Becca, also known as uh, at This Is Civic, has uh, emailed me a blog, uh, which is probably quite the opposite, which I will put up hopefully today or tomorrow morning. So do check out ChelseaFanCast.com. Apart from great blogs on there, people, I mean, I, I'll just I'll say this now. We get loads of emails saying, oh, where, where can we go for a pint at Stamford Bridge? There's all sorts of brilliant stuff on there, like who we are, what we get up to, which pubs we recommend, who are our mates, you know, who you should go and see. There's loads of other stuff other than blogs on that website. So do check it out. It's well worth it. Now, talking of blogs, um, I have an announcement to make about the Football Blogging Awards. Um, okay, just to say that the voting has now closed for the finals of the Football Blogging Awards. It closed on Sunday night at 1159 now, if you voted for us, I just want to say thank you so, so much. Uh, if you didn't vote for us, then I want to know why not. Disgraceful behaviour. Uh, so, anyway, it'll all be revealed who wins on uh, May the 9th, which coincidentally is when Chelsea are playing Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League, which I will therefore be missing as I will be at the awards due. Great planning not, but there you go. Anyway, let's hope we pick, or as I said, we, Chelsea Fancast, pick up our third football blogging award for best podcast, the Hattrick, which would be a marvellous achievement. Uh, but more to the point, it would be a testament to the support we get from all of you who listen to the show and interact with us on social media and, uh, even more important, meet us in the pubs before matches. Um, I have to say, uh, I couldn't say this before, otherwise you might not have voted, but I can be honest with you now. Uh, it's not that I'm always on it, dishonest, of course, you know. But anyway, it's going to be very, very, very tough to win this this year because there are many professional and semi-professional podcasts in the finals. Now, uh, anybody who listens to this show knows that we are rank amateurs. Isn't that right, Tony? We are indeed. Yes, we I, are. I, and um, and we do it all for the love. We, we do, no we do it for love. There's no filthy lucre changing hands here. No, no, we don't get paid. I mean, you know, I, I, there's a bit I make through Patreon to cover the costs and that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, we've all got, I mean, this is the, actually, this is a very good point to make, actually. Every single person who comes on this podcast with us, who does it, the regular fan cast, we all have proper jobs. I mean, yeah, believe it or not, people out there will employ us. It's very crazy, but true. We've all got other lives and proper jobs. So we we basically do this because we love doing it. You know, as I said, I get, a, you know, sometimes we get the odd sponsor and sometimes, you know, you get a bit of money from Patreon. But, you know, I mean, I'll be very honest with you. The money that comes into this podcast would not be enough to fund my, my bar bill at the cock for a season. All right. <laughs> Is, is that simple, all right? So, you know, we do this for love, but there are, as you've seen with the growth of podcasts and uh, certain people who remain nameless uh, doing uh, kind of paid-for podcasts on various platforms. But, I mean, you know, some of them, like, you know, Arsenal Fan TV, we're up against them. 
uh, for the pod. They, they've got a podcast version of what they do. They're in the finals of the best podcast category. You know, Robbie, who runs that, as, as, is making a very good living out of Arsenal fan TV. I, I'm talking a good living. You know, not just a bit of beer money. Yeah. They're making a living doing this. The Red Men TV, the, the scouts are the same. There's a lot of them out there now who see this as their full-time job, and that's what they do. So, you know, if we win it, I tell you, you know, it's, it's not like the we, we used to be the big, you know, Billy Big Bollocks of all of this, but we're not anymore. We're massive underdogs. So if we win this, this time round, it'll be huge, all right? And it will be a testament to you and your support, and that's why we love you. Uh, anyway, I can honestly say, you know, thanks uh, to all of you who voted. I mean, you know, we've done about as much as we can to get the vote out, and I, I really don't think we could have done any more, and we've left it all out on the pitch, which is all you can ever ask. And I have to say also, apologies for bombarding you all with uh, reminders to vote, which I've been doing over the last week on Twitter and every other platform we're in but anyway win or lose it won't change my opinion of the value and the strength of this podcast and why we enjoy doing it so much and hopefully why you lot like listening to it we don't need an award to prove just how good we and you are it just helps so there you go now back with the football um first question i've got to ask uh just to in in, in terms of balance uh mr crowder because I, I do feel that we've been far too pro sari tonight uh, <laughs> and this needs to be rectified i'm, I'm going to ask this of joe first Tony, because again, yeah. in, in, in terms of balance, I know what you're going to say, all right? So yeah. I'm going to ask Joe as a kind of somewhere in the middle view. Um, why can't he make innovative changes? I mean, his in-game management seems to be a severe weakness to me, Joe. You know, like for like subs, uh, not doing something a bit left field. What's going on? Why is it, is it just, is that just me being, you know, having a bad view of him or, or, or is there something, you know, underlying, you know, something substantial uh, validating this? So, I mean, I know we're going to talk about the squad a little bit later, but I think yeah. a lot of this is underpinned by the options that he has available. I don't see that there's a huge variety or, or a huge kind of depth of quality to, to really pick from to, to maybe make uh, certain changes. But even then, I think a lot of it comes down to his own kind of philosophical preferences as a football manager. Now, you know, I look at I look at Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. You know, there was a graphic the other day. They actually pick their centre-back pairing depending on how many crosses the opponents, you know, put into the box. So I think it's Matip and Van Dijk if the team plays area. I think it's it's Van Dijk and, and some other guy if the team are going to sort of try and pass it around them. You know, they change their midfield setup if they're playing a physical team or not. They change that they can they you know they'll change their front three depending on what kind of dynamic they want. You know, I, I don't want to talk about Tottenham too much, but you know, if you watch Pochettino manage during a game, I think this season, I can't remember, it might have been City or someone they were playing. You know, they started off in a particular formation, first 20 minutes it didn't work. You moved to a diamond in midfield, that wasn't working, moved to a 4-3-1, that didn't work. They ended up playing a three at the back in all in the same game. Guardiola, you know, changes his formation and personnel kind of depending on who they're playing, what kind of style of play they want to make. And, you know, th these are kind of the, the the people that we're trying to sort of catch up. And you look at how the managers work and how they, they approach games. It's, you know, they have, a, they have a principle in how they want to play games, but the way that they either set the team up, the kind of personnel that they pick, the, the analysis and, and the kind of thinking that they're doing in terms of their team selection and what's happening, you know, kind of mid-games. It's not something that I've, I've really seen from Sari at all. It, it's, it's plan A until plan A doesn't work. And in most cases, that's, you know, that's at the end of the 90 minutes. And, yeah, you know, we can look at the players available and stuff like that. But, you know, you've, you've got opportunities to, if we look at the Burnley game here, to, to play two up front, to try two strikers, to try 
something different. You know, take Jorginho off, play play two in midfield, try and try and get get more more men forward. You know, there was probably a period in the game, sort of yesterday in the second half, where I think you know David Luiz and and Christensen were playing sort of ten yards inside Burnley's half. We were so sort of you know kind of pushing forward. Why not kind of capitalise on that dominance and even take off a defender, go for it at the back, put on another midfielder, put on another forward. You know, there there are opportunities in games and there are opportunities this season for us to change the style of play, change the initial lineup, change the structure. But it's it's the same thing every week. You know, it's going to be four through three. You know, Jorginho is going to be the holding player. You know, sort of that it's probably going to be Higuain up top. You know that a lot of the play is going to go for Eden Hazard. You know, and, and the only time that we've really shown any kind of flexibility is is, is in adopting a bit more of a counter attacking approach. You know, the cup final against City, where I thought we played very well. The following game, I think, where we played Tottenham again, where we played very well, slightly more of a counter-attacking mantra. But, you know, there, there are a handful or less than a handful of, of times this season where Sari really seems to have thought about the opposition and how he wants to play the game. Because, you know, it, the Premier League is it's not just something that you can come with a broad brush and just, just do the same thing over and over and expect it to, to win. You know, Klopp has been building this Liverpool team for a number of seasons now in terms of, you know, def- kind of redefining his style and getting in the right players and making sure the profile of of centre-back is right and midfielders and forwards and Guardiola will go out and spend more and more money on players who fit the system and fit, and fit the way they're doing it. Tottenham have built this this team now that are you know excellent sort of in the Premier League and they're in the semi-finals of the Champions League and here we are playing the same way, the same system, the same personnel, the same shape, the same... And it doesn't matter if we're playing Barcelona or Burnley. It's the same process and you know, that, that is something that Sarri, you know, in terms of when we're talking about being inflexible, that, that's the thing that will count against him, you know, is, is just this this same dogmatic approach to tactics, to personnel, to shape. Because, you know, there are better managers in, in this league who, who adapt far more regularly than he does. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunately what he's going to live and die by. You know, if, if we come to the summer with, with no Champions League football, that's going to be something that's on him. So while I completely agree that we need better players... You know whether whether those giving those players to sorry if he continues this same kind of pragmatic uh, or dogmatic, I should say, this same kind of approach every game. I don't see what the difference is going to be. So, you know, it's it's not a question of, of why can't he make them. I think he chooses not to. Um, I think he chooses to adhere to his own his own philosophy too much. And I don't think he's really paid the Premier League the kind of respect that it deserves because you can be a great manager and a great player. But you might not fit the Premier League. You might not be a great Premier League player, or you might not be a great great Premier League manager. And I don't think he's really got those differences, Chidge. Well, that's pretty damning, Joe. I've got to be honest. I didn't. I didn't really expect that at all. But I'll tell you what, Tony. It, it does smack me. Smack me. Weird Freudian well, if slip. You want. No, no, don't, don't, don't. I'm, I'm, I'm saving that for Crowder when he next comes over. But um, it, it smacks of uh, the kind of stuff we saw with Wenger a lot, where they don't take. Um, you know, any account of how the opposition are going to set up and play. They just play yeah. the way they're going to play. He doesn't change anything. He doesn't address any of the fundamental yeah. issues of the squad. I I do take, uh, you know, Joe's point, and this is something we will go, I know we keep saying this, but we will get to it eventually. But, you know, you you, you, you know, you have to play the cards you dealt with in, in terms of the players you've got at your disposal. I get that. But I still think that there's more you could do. But it basically, Tony, it, it, it you know, this really... Uh, sits very happily, I think, with the point that you've been making for donkeys about the fact that we are becoming Arsenal. And this will roll into our our next topic of conversation, to be honest, uh, Tony, about the fact that we're, you know, really just about struggling to scrape into top four, which is, of course, was a Wenger speciality. But, you know, it does does sound a bit Wenger-esque. It does sound a bit Arsenal, doesn't it? 
It does. I think I should have copyrighted that. The you Ars- should. Arsenal- it's been nicked by everybody. I it always has- credit you when I write about yeah. it. Arsenalification uh, of Chelsea, and, and it's. It seems to me that it's been driven, you know, from a desire from from the very top to play. Uh, you know that kind of attractive football yeah. because people weren't satisfied with the fact that we were just winning and 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 I will go back to Mourinho's first two seasons the, the his his season when he won the champ uh, the league with us again for you know the third time Conte season where we played I, I prefer it as powerhouse football where you 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 can absorb what the opposition are doing um, you set your, your 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 field accordingly and when you when you strike your lethal you know you absolutely never worry about going a goal down because you hope you know you've got it within your capability to come back um and i think arsenal you know, wenger was is you know this is this is not a denigration of, of wenger he's a very professorial type person he's obviously a deep thinker about the game okay but you know like if if, if you then equate that to the great uh you know the great thinkers in in any field they become very very dogmatic as joe said they become very convinced that their way their theory is the only way and you, you can go into the fields of science into the fields of philosophy uh, and you will find that kind of you, you could call it arrogance i suppose but that kind of attitude that you you know best and that everything else is irrelevant and it worries me that you know we knew what burnley were burnley are if you like the new stoke okay and and fair play to them for being that way they have very limited resources um, they they are another Bournemouth. They are a f- fabulous success story f- from when you look at their resources in comparison to ours, to Cities, to Spurs, and all the you know the other big clubs. Uh, and so to come in and compete, and we didn't know what to do with them. We didn't have any plan. We didn't have anything there. And I think you you, you go back to this thing about an inability to change within games, and it it comes from that dogma in the fact that you don't need to research how big their players are or how bastardish their players are because they stick an elbow in or whatever um, because you've got such faith in your system and I think you go back to this and I joked at the beginning of this and I don't know whether Mixler was on there but you know I joked about the fact that you know right now Benitez would, would be a better option for me than, than bloody Sarri and that was simply because he's a football man now he may well be in your view a Neely man but he's a football man and he knows how things need to change okay but there are any number of other managers out there. I mean, my my only issue with this uh, whole Sarri thing is is that um, Joe Joe touched it really really well there when he said, you know, some people aren't suited to the Premier League. Some players, so Bakayoko was a very very good player, didn't fit the Premier League. Okay, he's all by all accounts having a good season in Italy this year. Um, we've seen so many players come in that you think, oh, this is going to be really really good, and it hasn't quite worked because the Premier League is so in your face you don't get the time at all and i think this is the same for managers so you'll get these um you know it, it's a reputation ruiner isn't it let's face it um but, you know i, I think sarri's come in I, I mentioned earlier about his inexperience with you know dealing with a hostile situation on the pitch with a hostile crowd his own fans aren't particularly you know uh, getting on with him or whatever um and i think you know what worries me is that it it, it? it could potentially close down the field for any replacements with that similar level of inexperience. I always, you know, I know we're not talking about who should come in, but I always said that, you know, if you're going to go for an inexperienced, uh, you know, non-trophy winning coach, then you should have gone to Eddie Howe because at least he's got Premier League experience. At least he's got that. Okay. And um, 
for me, uh, I just look at Chelsea now. I, I don't, yeah, I'll always support the club. I'll always go. But I really would hate us to become with, you remember, who was it that was, was it, was it one of the Arsenal directors who said, you know, we finished in fourth place. That is a successful season. Yeah. I, Absolutely, I, I, that's Gazidis, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, and I just, I you know, so. to me that would be, uh, that would that would be a, a terrible, terrible thing, be- and and it would be another indication. That actually, the business of football counts more than the glory of winning the games and, and the trophies. Well, on on that point, uh, thank you, Tony. That was very erudite. But I, I, there's a lot of chatter on Mixler about this, and I have to agree. It's not just Sarri. It's not just the players. You know, you have to look at the owner and the board for their culpability in this. And I think there's certainly been a sea change in the last five, uh, at least five, arguably seven years, where the business has become more important and generating the revenue has become more important. And that's so you don't settle for winning trophies anymore. You settle for getting to top four, which is very much the Arsenal model, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, you know, this this requirement of, of having somebody, anybody with, with some sort of footballing experience at the uh, executive level is, is becoming you know, more and more important. I think, I think someone sent me an article that I wrote maybe three or four years, years ago making exactly the same points that Chelsea needed better representation at the executive level, you know, in terms of sort of making footballing decisions. And, you know, for, for all of the, 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 the kind of negatives around Sari and, and the squad, you know, the, the squad has has been able has declined because because you know the club of I mean I can't remember the, the list of, of transfers that someone showed you know the last sort of twenty transfers we made I think maybe three of them have been good you know or, or there's there's such a low success rate in the amount of money that we spend and you know when when the club is spending a significant amount of money and the squad's getting worse year on year you have to you know you have to start looking at, at at the top and you know even even to the point of someone suggesting maybe that you know sorry was was the right manager in the first place someone at board level should have looked at the squad and looked at you know the sort of style of football and, and way napoli played and gone hmm, you know maybe maybe we don't quite have the players to sort of play this style of football in the first place so you know there, there are tons of decisions which i think we've we've definitely got wrong in in, in the last couple of years on the footballing side of things and it, it all stems from not having any sort of footballing knowledge or representation at that level making decisions and until that's rectified you know this this sort of you know kind of slow sort of process to being a just a, a domestic team who occasionally gets in the Champions League you know that, until we get some proper sort of footballing opinions some proper sort of footballing input at the top then then this is sort of where we're going to be and you know maybe maybe Sari is is just getting as much out of this this current set of players as he can um you know and and, and without the club really recognizing the sort of a level of input that they need in terms of adding players into the squad, then, then maybe this is this is the best that we can that we can sort of hope for. So, no, I, I agree with what people are saying. Mixer, it, it it all starts at the top, but it has been for a number of years, and you know we don't look any closer to to sort of closing that gap in terms it, it of the was, knowledge we need. It was a dis- it was a disruptor model, wasn't it? When when Roman took over, he he was you know it it was almost the footballer equivalent of a Google or. Um, uh, 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 an Uber. It was a yeah. disruptive model. It disrupted everything around it. It went in and it was like this kind of almost chaos model. We went and got the enfant terrible of football, Jose Mourinho. We spent money on players and we said to Mourinho, this is, you know, this is your target. Um, I think the disruptor model in all of those other business cases is, you know, like I've, like I've just mentioned or whatever, eventually those businesses have to settle into a, a, a almost traditional kind of way of working. 
Okay, they've gone in, yeah. they've busted their, they've busted the whole. You, yeah, I mean, you, I know you work in the kind of banking sector or whatever, Joe. Um, and they go in, and and you you, you kind of burst the bubble. You, you 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 find your place in the market. You stake your your territory or whatever, but then you have to conform in some way or another yeah, and, and that means proper practices and that means things like you said about football and it, it sounds very dull and I'm, I'm sure people uh, uh, eyes are glazing over like mine do when people start talking tactics but that that ability you know ultimately and I think you've mentioned it before Chidge where Ron Gourlay said you know we are more than aware of that you know everything the business success sees is linked to what we well, do well that was then mate and that now that seems that seems to be the bit that's disappeared we, we're marketing and uh, and and there's, there seems to be this thing and I, I just really I mean I would go and watch us if we went bankrupt and we ended up playing in Parsons Green Park I would okay. yeah me too but you know ultimately um, you know you don't want you've had this kind of glory and what was i don't think there's a fan out there who's saying we want we must win the league every year we must win the champions league we must but you want to be compete you want to compete Uh, and and i think the minimum requirement tony and 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 this is this is something we will address in a minute but i think and i and i remember this vividly before uh roman turned up we had the the kind of the, the you know we'd had all that success in the in the mid to late 90s with Hullet and uh, and Viali, and then Viali got the tin tack, and and then we ran out of money, and Ranieri came in, and and I was really excited that we got sixths because it was it felt yeah. like improvement on where we'd been the season before, you know, and then we got fourth, and it was an improvement, and that's what you want to see. You want to see your club moving forward. You want to see it develop. You want to see it improve. It doesn't matter where that improvement takes place. It can be from fucking 20th, well, actually, that's stupid, 17th to 15th. It doesn't matter. But as a fan, you want to see improvement. Ultimately, long term, if you're in that position and you're able to compete, you want to see the club win trophies. And I think just to kind of move this on a bit, you know, what what we see now in this levelling out, either we're going to level out to what our natural position was pre-Roman, which was anywhere between 6th and 10th, or uh, we will find it very very hard to break into or, or break the the modern day he- hegemony of city and liverpool yeah possibly spurs because of the money that they've got coming in with their stadium and you can never write united off because of the money that they have although having said that i think it's really fascinating this is to just move it on to my wonderful multicolored chart which will have everybody <laughs> yes. giggling but you know isn't it interesting at the moment that arsenal man united and chelsea are are more more than competing for the the top, you know that 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 final fourth place to get Champions League football. At the moment, it looks like they're competing to see who can be the most limp-wristed, inept, and shit team. You know the way they're all playing. And I mean, Arsenal, we know, you know, don't value success in terms of winning trophies. They see it as a success to finish top top four and then spunk all the money on on Cronky's other franchises. And United and us, I think, even though United are, are an absolute behemoth in terms of revenue, completely blow us out of the water. But, you know, they are as messed up as we are, with as many clueless people running that club as we are. It's no coincidence that they and us are struggling with arguably the weakest squads that we've both had as teams in the last 20 years. Anyway, on that point, it's time... I should have seen, I feel like a jingle for this because I've been doing this for the last kind of four or five weeks. Uh, everybody <laughs> will know that I, I do this ridiculous kind of table where I, I, I kind of uh, decide you know, where we're going to finish and how many points we're going to get. Uh, and my latest forecast is this. Uh, 
I'm absolutely praying to God that City are going to win their remaining five games, well, four games now, and uh, finish on 98 points. And I'm assuming that Liverpool will, will win all of their games and they'll finish second on 97. That would cause me huge joy and mirth. Uh, but as far as third, fourth, fifth and sixth goes, which is where we come into it, at the moment I'm thinking that Spurs are going to finish third. Uh, and before I do that, actually, just to give you how crap this is, this could be a good thing. It, it, you know, the more wrong I get it, the more chance that it might work out in our favour. You'll see the madness in this in a second. But uh, I, I didn't update, I didn't like delete what I predicted for the weekend because I thought that United would draw against Everton. Yep, they got thumped four <laughs> nil. Uh, I predicted that Chelsea would beat Burnley at home. Uh, yep, yep, we drew. I predicted that Arsenal would beat Palace at home. Yep, they lost. Uh, and I predicted, of course, that Spurs would lose to Man City. That played out. And I predicted that Cardiff would lose to Liverpool. And that played out. And City would beat Spurs, which that played out. So you see where I'm going with this. The more I get it wrong, the more chance Chelsea have got to get it right. But basically, I still don't see us getting into the top four. Because I do see Spurs beating Brighton tonight. And of course, what's happening at the moment, Tony? Uh, it's nil-nil, isn't it? Exactly. So there is hope. There is hope <laughs> that the reverse psychology of my predictions might carry some weight but I do think they'll win I think that they'll probably draw against West Ham because I think that's a tough match for them because West Ham will treat it like their cup final they'll beat Bournemouth and they'll beat Everton so they'll I'm saying that they're going to get another 10 points and that would leave them at 77 points Arsenal have got Wolves away Leicester away Brighton at home and Burnley away uh I think they'll draw at Wolves and lose at Leicester or the other way around but I, I only see them getting a point from either of those two uh, Brighton will be safe by the 4th of May so I think they'll be on the beach Brighton Beach preferably and Arsenal will beat them and in the last match of the season Burnley will be safe they'll be on the beach and I see Arsenal winning that so I think Arsenal will get another 7 points which would leave them on 73 mm. uh, thanks to our, our, our you know inability to win as I predicted we would last night uh, I think that we'll draw against United we'll beat Watford at home <laughs> And we'll draw away to Leicester. So I only see us getting another five points, and that'll put us on 72, which would leave us fifth. United will hopefully lose to City because uh, the, the world and civilization depends upon uh, City winning the league, of course. Uh, I think they'll draw against us, they'll beat Huddersfield, and they'll beat Cardiff. So they get seven points that leaves them on 71. But the, the, the salient point out of all of this, boys, in, ca- in case you're thinking I'm going completely mad, it does show you the importance of the match next Sunday against Man United. Because if we could win that, uh, I think that is the crucial match. I I do think Watford will be on the beach. Well, not on the beach, but they'll have an eye on the cup final. And Leicester genuinely might not have something to play for by the last match of the season. But, uh, Joe, what say you? You, You've got a bigger brain than me. Am I completely (laughs) mad here? I think think the fact that this weekend's proved that I'm mad and getting it wrong all the time. But, hey, I'm worth a punt. I mean, it, it feels like this this top four thing is like the sort of the chuckle buff, isn't it? It's kind of yeah, up to me, to, you, to me, to you each each sort of week. Um, I, I I have little faith in in Chelsea's running. I, I think that we will probably. I, I I do think I do think that we'll beat United. I think we'll slip up in one of the other games though. I think we'll beat United. I think we'll be in some sort of driving position. And then I think maybe Leicester, who you know have been a bit sort of rejuvenated under Brendan Rodgers, yeah, maybe turn up on the last day of the season and and, and spoil the party. Um, I think I think we sh- I mean we should beat Watford at home. I think you're right. Uh, maybe the manager and the team will have probably have an eye on the cup final then. But I have a feeling that it's going to be Leicester that's going to be the tricky game. Right. If, if they have you know if they've got something to prove to to Rodgers about whether they need to be in the squad and stuff next season, 
I think that they, they might have a point to prove and that they're looking pretty decent at the moment as well. So um, that would be the, the tricky game for me. I think Arsenal, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that they're going to they're gonna sort of drop points. I just, I just don't know whether it's going to be enough for, for us to sort of overtake them. Um, I, think, I think Tottenham will, will be fine. Um, but I think it, it's Arsenal that we need to hope for. I think United yeah. will probably kind of fizzle out. I, I don't think uh, really that, that you know their end of season is going to be too much either. I, th- I think it's between us and Arsenal, and it really is who's going to be the one to kind of throw it away. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm not I'm not super confident with with the running. I think I still think Europa League is our best bet, but it's uh, yeah, it's going to be definitely going to be an interesting last couple of games for us. Okay. To well, you'll be delighted to know there'll be more uh, mystic megishness uh, coming up in part three because we're going to talk about the Slavia, uh, sorry, the Slavia, the Eintracht Frankfurt game and the United game, both of which we all think, I think, are crucial to whether yes. Chelsea have Champions League football next season and quite possibly whether uh, Sarri is with us next season. Now, um, we kind of mentioned this earlier on, didn't we, that, you know, ultimately, you know, really, I think a more realistic way to judge managers is on whether things have improved. Uh, it being that it's, you know, there are four trophies up for grabs. You know, there are many more better teams now than there have been for a considerable amount of time. It's not easy to win trophies. I'm not saying it was easy to win them when we were winning them all the time, but, you know, things have got harder. You know, bigger clubs with, you know, more money, certainly. Anyway, some young lad, Joe, Joe's giggling here, I know, but some young lad basically put up a win percentage. Uh, with some very amusing titles for each season between 2003, four when Raymond came in, and, and present day, and he included all of the um, European fixtures as well. So it's basically you know games uh, games won. Uh, so for example, uh, you know this season thus far we've won 37 out of 55 games, which gives us a, gives Sarri a win percentage of 67, which would put him one, two, three, fourth equal as the most successful win percentage manager ever. Now, Joe, to his eternal credit, you know, and proof that I do follow Joe on Twitter and hang on every word that he says, <laughs> uh, he completely went back and said, well, that's bollocks because, you know, you can't compare beating, you know, the cannon fodder that we've had in the Europa League with playing Barcelona, Bayern Munich, PSG every other season, which I think is a very valid point. Uh, I'm going to ignore the grey table, Joe, because we've already debunked that one. And we'll go right to the, the heart of the matter. Joe, in Joe's inimitable fashion, produced uh, the definitive table, which is basically based on Premier League games, which is how really perhaps one should judge these things. And that tells a very, very different story. Just, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with all of this. I'm just going to... The most successful win percentage is from Conte in that remarkable winning season where he won 30 games out of 38. So his win percentage is 79%. Uh, but believe it or not, you know, that doesn't smash it out of the park because in both of Jose's first two title winning seasons in, in 05 and 06, he had 76% win rate. Uh, and then he was cl- not that far behind his Carlo's double season when it was 71. Uh, and then we go down to fourth, which was Jose's returning season when he, well, the year after he returned and won the title with 68%. Uh, and then 66% was Jose's first season back with us in 2014 as was Avram Grants would you believe although I you know well you've got to give him some credit I suppose for that and in fact Big Phil Scolari managed a 66% uh, win ratio uh, in seventh place in fifth with 58% is Rafa Benitez in 2013 he won 22 out of 
the 38 games. Although, of course, you know, Robbie should get a bit of credit for some of that. And in eighth place thus far, now, okay, we're not home and hosed yet. But out of 30, you know, basically, Sarri's won 20 out of 35 matches. So his, uh, his percentage, win percentage is 57%. So he's kind of currently in eighth at the moment. So frankly, he's quite a long way down. I mean, he's only, only the only worst seasons than that are Conte last season with a horrible 55%, which was matched by Carlo's uh, season. He got fired with 55%. And the only people, oh, I know, who else have we got? Yeah, Robbie, 47%. And right at the bottom, propping everybody up. Oh, I missed out Ranieri, by the way. He's on 63%, and he's the same as Jose's last season. Uh, but also, uh, we've got uh, you know, Jose's you know, Anus Horribilis with 32%. Now, okay, yeah, fair enough. But uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I have to say, you know, I'm delighted to see Rafa so low. But, you know, Rafa's better than Sarri at the moment, which seems weird. But I know the season's not finished yet. He's got three more games. I mean, if he won all of those, Joe, he would move up quite considerably, wouldn't he? Uh, he would jump to about sixty-six. Yeah, so he'd be sort of upper, upper, upper he'd, kind of third. Yeah, he'd be Avram level, Avram yeah. and Phil. Yeah, which actually, do you know what? In a weird sense, that pleases me. I mean, not not for the reasons you might think, but uh, I've been saying for weeks that he reminds me of Avram Grant and Phil Scolari. It feels a bit like that, you know, uh, which might be a bit unkind, but uh, you know that he he would equal that if he got sixty-six percent, he'd be level with them. And and Jose on his first season back, so swings and roundabouts and all that. But I mean, I think the, re- the, the look. The real point is here is is you know he's dead. I mean, here's the here's the really interesting thing. Given what we were saying a minute ago, even if he finishes on fifty seven percent, he's going to finish above Conte last season in terms of his win percentage. So you could make the argument that he's improved. Silence. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, depends. If he, if he loses the next three games, then obviously that's going to be uh, gonna, that's going to drop him down quite considerably. So, rough guess. So percentage wise, let's say uh, down to about fifty four. So lower than Con- just a bit lower than Conte, basically. So it'd be about tenth again. Yeah. Well, be, be, yeah, it'd go to tenth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 uh or yeah ninth tenth yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And of course, if he won them all, as we said, he'd go up to 66. I mean, the reality is, though, here, you know, let's take the statistics out of it because you and I both know that there are lies, damn lies, and there are statistics. Yes. The reality is, let's say we get top four. Uh, let's say we get to the final of the Europa League and lose it. Could you say that we have improved as a team and a squad from last year? I think, I think to be fair to him, I, I, I would pinpoint that certain players have improved. I think as a team, I think we probably have taken a, a sideways step rather than a, a step forward. And, you know, I look at someone in particular, you know, I've always been a big fan of Loftus-Cheek, but I think he's made some really big strides forward this season, particularly sort of the last couple of months when he's been trusted to play in midfield. I also think Kante has improved as a footballer. Even sort of Barkley, I think, you know, beginning of the season, that, that there were some signs of improvement in individuals. But as a as a collective, as a team, I think at best we've we've just taken a sideways step. I think you know maybe this is this is a fair reflection of the squad. Maybe fifth, sixth, this is sort of the the realistic expectation or the, maybe the realistic yeah. level of the squad. And I would say as well, you know, again that both Mourinho and Conte have have made comments to the ability of the players they've had to select over yep. the past five years. So I don't think this is just a a sorry issue. Um, 
But I think it, you know, I think if he if he was overachieving, I think sort of a, a solid third place finish would probably be be overachieving with with the current squad. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's improved us. I think for the uh, realistically from Conte's second season, definitely not his first. From his second season, I think at best it's a sideways step. Well, indeed. I mean, it should also be remembered um, that uh, whilst Conte stunk the place out for most of the, the you know, the, the last four, four months, five months of his reign, we did win the FA Cup, didn't yes. we, Tony? Yep. Tony, turn your mic on, mate. You're muted. Oh, no, I haven't. I pulled the mic up out of the way. Sorry. <laughs> I am going to say that, that, that statistics are fascinating, but... Mm. Some of the worst ones in there. So you had uh, Robbie uh, in there. He won us a Champions League and an FA yep, Cup. Exactly. Um, so the one thing that's missing and and took over from AVB, who yeah. stunk the place out. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, one of the things that aren't in there is is, is what they actually won, and uh, that that to me is is you know a bit of a critical thing. Um, you know, you if, if you if you have a win percentage of seventy nine percent, but you don't win a trophy, what good's that? Well, I think this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because Conte finished fifth last year. So to improve, and he won the FA Cup. So to improve, uh, you know, Sarri needs to finish fourth and win us a trophy. Yeah. You could argue, couldn't you? You But also, to be fair, it's not, I don't think you can just, uh, you know, be that clinical. You know, there's good arguments people are saying on Mixler, you know, Ruben Loftus Cheek's broken through as a better player. Hudson Odoi broke through, you know, looks a player. You could also say that some of the existing players that we had with Conte have got worse because they get older and they decline. So this is not an exact, you know, you cannot just no, prove this can't. purely by statistics. There has to be some subjectivity in there as well. And that's that. That's that's the thing with football, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I, I, I you know, the polls put up on the thing that we've trod water, and I think that's where I think we are. Yeah, um, I agree with that. It wasn't that. what we were promised. It's a bit like Brexit. You know, there's this fantastic sunny uplands, um, which was what everyone was gobbing off about. You know, Sarri Ball's going to transform us. And you wait, you know, it comes in after about two months, you know, It'll, it'll be a struggle at first, but three months in, we'll be we'll be dazzling people. Uh, well, we didn't play badly for the first three months, and then it all sort of fell away from there, didn't it? And that, to me, is where the issue um, is becoming more and more uh, prevalent. I, you know, I I, I I stick by what I said. I, I don't think we've progressed. I do think that there is some squad overhaul that needs to be done. I think the fact that um, Callum Hudson-Odoi um, has 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 been given some game time, but you know, I'm telling you now, that's pressure from external sources. I don't think Sarri would have done that without all of the, the the media attention that was being rained on him. If Bayern hadn't put that bid in, I don't think he'd have seen the light of day. Um, I think I think there's a point there, Tony. A- Andy Willis, the lovely Andy Willis, has made a very good point. He says, take your measure from the crowd reaction in terms of the improvement. I'm not so sure, Andy, because I, I'm con- and I've written about this a lot this season. I think that, you know, the anger, the dissatisfaction, the, you know, we all hate the football and all that lot. I think that Sarri, who I have to be honest, does not help himself, but I think he's a really convenient scapegoat for a lot of issues with a lot of the support that have been festering for quite a while now. And he's a he's a convenient scapegoat and target from that. So I don't, I don't it's hard to explain in, in the, like the 10 seconds I've mm. got, but I do think that it's not singularly about Sarri, the crowd reaction. I think it's it's all of these things that have been festering away for the last five to ten years all coming to a head. Right, 
one way to finish this up, as which we've been, we've been promising for quite a while, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> is you know we've been saying, is it Sarri? Is it players? Is it the board? Is it all of this? Um, I kind of like uh, thought maybe we should go down the list of players talking of Im- 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 improvement. And Andy, actually, to his credit, says, I don't disagree with your point, Chidge. Thank you, Andy. That's very kind of you. So I've got, a li- got, a, got the list of players here. So I just want a simple yes or no. Have they have they improved or not? So uh, obviously some of them like Kepper, who is its first year. It's hard to say, Tony, but I'll give it a whirl anyway. Kepper. Um, are you asking me whether you think he's good enough? Yes, he is. Yeah. OK. Is he good enough? Yes. yes. Joe? Kepper? Uh, yes. So, and I agree. Uh, Rudiger, Tony? Definitely. Joe? Yep. Uh, Marcus Alonso? Um, I'm going to I'm gonna say probably no, because I think we've seen the best of him. Yep. Joe? No, not as a left-back. Right, I'm agreed with that. Jorginho? Oh, that's a tough one, because I think... It's his first season. I think he has the potential to be a, a good defensive midfielder. So I, I'm going to say yes. Okay, Joe. No, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's a Premier League player. Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. Danny Drinkwater, pretty clear. I think. Well, no, 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 no. Should be starting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know you're taking the if piss. You, if, so if, if, if Joe could have said that without the smile, it was very obvious. <laughs> yeah, even though we can't see his face, we yeah, knew he yeah, was smiling. Yeah. Right, uh, and Golo's got to be a blanket yes, yes folks. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Barkley. Yes. Yes. Good squad player. Yeah, I'm agreeing with that. Higuain. No. No. No, I'm agreeing with that. Eden Hazard, well, yeah, that's obvious. obviously. Yeah, 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 with that. Blanket, yes. Pedro. I'm looking at his age, 31. Um, yeah. Do you know what? I think as a squad player and as a person, yes. I'm going to say yes because he's no trouble. He doesn't He doesn't seem to – he's not a dissenter. So he's a right. useful person to have in, in, in and around. And I think his experiences would be good, yeah. Okay. Joe? I'm going to say no, and, and that's primarily because I think we need to break up the sort of Brazilian-Spanish clique that we've got in the club a little bit. I have to say I agree, and I think he's the wrong age. And yeah. I think, let, let's, okay, I know that hudson Adoy's, uh, you know, injured and out for a long time, but all things being equal, I'd rather see the likes of him and Pulisic come in. Uh, Loftus-Cheek, blanket yes, yeah, I would have thought. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Willie as a blanket, no, because he's too, too old, really, isn't he? Too old, and I think with goalkeepers, particularly, yeah. like backup, get, an, get an English backup. It's such an easy yeah. homegrown thing to do. I don't exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd agree. Yeah. Okay, Kovacic, no, 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 I'd agree with that. Oli Giroud, uh, have I got to go first? I absolutely think Giroud is terrific. I think he's the only forward that can defend a corner like Drogba can, but I am going to have to say for the future, no. Okay, Joe. Um, this this one depends on the transfer ban. If, if we get a, a ban... Let, let's, let's assume no ban, um, just to make things easy. I would I would still keep him as the sort of veteran striker. I don't think he would have that, though, so he probably would want to go, but I would say yes, keep him as your experience forward. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm agreeing with you there, Joe. Hudson-Odoi, blanket, yes, I'm presuming. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, Zappa Costa? No. No. Joe? No. I'm saying no for him. William? No. No. Okay. I'm inclined to agree with that, although he's younger than Pedro, but on the same basis as Pedro, I'm going to say no. Gary Cahill? Um, 
with a heavy heart, I'd say no. I think yeah. he would have been he would have been absolutely an answer last night because he, you know if anybody knows how to play against big, bullying, rumbustious players, Gary Cahill is the man. I think. But look, I, I of all the things I dislike about Sarri and the club this season, the treatment of Gary Cahill has been absolutely rotten. Um, but I would say no. Uh, I'm inclined to agree with you, Tony. Joe. Uh, I mean, I'd say no as well. And I think primarily because even at his age, he could go and definitely play in the championship or lower lower end Premier League team for the next three, four seasons. You know, it's, it's not like he's he's like an old 33-year-old. He could definitely still play somewhere else. Right, fair enough. Uh, Tony Christensen. Uh, I, I, I like him, but he's a long, long way from being the finished article. I think at the age of 23, he, he can mature but I think there's some there are he's got as many gaps in his game as David Luiz has yeah but a, a tick because he's yes. younger and he's got time yes, on his yes, side yes, all right yes. fair enough I'm inclined to agree with that Joe interesting because I'm I'm a fan of him but if you offered me him or Kurt Zuma I'd go with Kurt Zuma really? um, I think Christensen wow. I just think just think mentally that he he's a little bit fragile and that that's you know something that maybe comes of experience but you know, I think he's been okay this season, but I, if you're talking about rebuilding the team, then I can't see him why I put him straight into that defence. So I'm going to give that a no for you, yep. Joe. All right, on balance. Uh, right, uh, Dave. Um. Well, oh God, do I have to go first? I'm going yeah. to say... <laughs> Those are the rules, Tony. Right, you bastard. Um, <laughs> you're a nice bastard, but you're still a bastard. I know, I, I know I, that. I am going to say... Yes, but there are huge caveats. He should not be captain for a start. He should not be captain. He should be anywhere near that captaincy. Mm. Joe? Um, I'd say yes, because I think he can do for Rhys James what Ashley Cole did for him. I think he's a great sort of veteran, great squad. professional, great yeah. squad player. And, I think and he's only 29. And he's 29. And if you're going to hand the role over to a younger player, I think Asper Laqueta has that sort of... Uh, mentality about him where he wouldn't begrudge it I think he'd be an excellent tutor I think you'd eventually then sort of uh, push Reese James into that starting right back spot yeah indeed uh, Tony David Luiz um, I'm a big big fan of David Luiz but uh, 32 no right Joe no I think he's uh, I think I think we've got the best out of him um, but yeah. I think he yeah he's he's not the future for me so no I agree with that. Uh, Robert Green, presumably a blanket no. Blanket no. Why haven't we got a goalkeeper from the academy that's able to be in that position? Well, we've got, we got Martin Bulker. Well, we should have him in there, then. Uh, well, is that what he is, then? Yeah. But, um, yeah, okay. yeah. No need for Green, then, as far as I'm saying. Well, we'll blanket tick Bulker, unless Joe's got something strong to say. Well, the only thing about Bulker will be that he won't be here next season, because I don't think he's, he's going to go. Contract yeah, yet. exactly. But we'd have him. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think he's an incredible yeah. talent. He just, you know, we bought a... Seventy million pound goalie who's not twenty what twenty three twenty four, um, exactly. he's never going to play. So I think he's seen that as a sign to go. All right, Emerson. Uh, yes, sorry. Yes, yep. I think so. Yep, yep. Yeah, okay, Joe. Him, yep. Yep. All right, me too. And Ethan Ampadu, blanket. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's got a place in football next season. So either goes out on loan or there's a manager yeah. that. But he's good enough. Him. Oh, he's definitely definitely good enough. Yeah, but right. I think he's another one who's been a bit uh, treated unfairly this season. Yeah, um, I'm not going to bother with Jamie coming and George McEachern because they haven't played this season, so that, that's a bit spurious. They're just there to make up the numbers. So the bottom line is, is that out of our little list here, uh, we are looking at um, the following making up our squad thus far. So 
I'm including Bolker anyway. So we've got Kepper as Arithmalega, Rudiger, Kante, Barkley, Hazard, who of course may go, but then he might not. Loftus Cheek, Callum Hudson Odoi, Andreas Christensen, Cesar Aspilicueta, Emerson, Ethan Ampadu, Martin Bulker, or Marchin, but Martin Bulker will do. So basically, what we're saying is that we don't think that Alonso, Jorginho, Drinkwater, Higuain, Pedro, Caballero, Kovacic, Giroud, Zapacosta, William Cahill, Louise, and I'll leave it at that, are good enough, either because they're not good enough or they're too old and they, they need to go, which I think is unbelievably revealing, isn't it, Tony? Uh, I'm shocked now that it's been read out like that. Um, and so I, 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 I might take a second um, thought on Giroud, simply because I really do like him. I like his attitude. I think he, um, you know, he does draw, he calls his you know, defenders hate him. They absolutely hate him. Whereas I think with Higuain, they just look at him and go, uh, All right. well, I'm, I'm a bit faster than you. But yeah, he's quite frightening. Joe, Joe and I both went for Giroud. Yeah. So if you changed, if you yeah. changed, that gets him in. Yeah, I mean, I only did it based on his age, but I think that was possibly a bit unfair because he, you know, he's, he's he has uh, he's, everything about him I like. His attitude, his, you know, uh, everything is, is right about him for me. Um, I, was, I was probably just being a bit ageist there. Um, but it is revealing. I do think there are certainly two players that um, we could we could bring back from loan. I think is the guy, young lad at Wigan. Is it Reese James? He seems yeah. to be having an absolute stormer of a season. And controversially, Tammy Abrams, because I don't know what that boy's got to do, but he keeps scoring goals wherever he's going to go. And people keep giving me he's not going to be good enough for the Premiership without a single, not one single shred of evidence. Right, there is no more evidence against Tammy Abrahams than there was for Callum Hudson Odoi. Um, Harry Kane, Harry, Kane Harry Kane was dreadful in the championship, League One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. really dreadful. Just didn't score anywhere yeah. near as much as Tammy. Yeah, and I think I think he's a, you know he's a he's a young lad. He 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 he's he's under the tutelage of John Terry, which of course is you know one a different thing altogether. But that that will keep the the connection to to Chelsea going. And I just think he deserves a bloody chance and a run yep. at it like Hudson Odoi, like Loftus Cheek, because. You know, he is a goal scorer. He's a bit of a greedy bastard, but and he maybe just needs to fill out a little bit. I don't know, but I like him and I think he deserves a chance. And, I, you know, I won't hear anybody sitting there going, he's not fucking good enough or whatever, because I'm sitting there going, well, where's your evidence? Where's your actual... Have you watched him? Or are you going to be one of these people going, well, I watched Napoli last season when you actually didn't? <laughs> I, you know, so uh, I, you know, I think there's, there's prospects there, but you can't just bring them back in you, you, this idea that there's a class of 92 waiting to take Chelsea to greater heights is completely mythological. It's own. But I think, I, that. you know what, I, I think, you know, because we, there are so many unknowns here, of course. I mean, you know, if, if we have a transfer ban, that all goes down the shitter. But I think, you know, what, 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 what I'm trying to, I'm not trying to prove anything really, but what I'm trying to establish here is going back to where we were about, well, is it Sarri? Is it the board? Is it the players? But I think, Given what we've just said, and the, and, the, and the basis upon which we made our decisions was, are they good enough for next season? So yes, we take age into account as well. Half of the squad are not good enough. I, mean, I think that's staggering. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think when you, when you think back to, there, there was some really f- interesting comments of when Pep Guardiola was asked about taking over the, the Chelsea job, and he said, I'd need to sign 10 new players. Yeah. Well, you you add ten to the ones we picked out, and that's probably the Premier League squad. So, yeah. I don't think it, it's you know it, it's that far off reality. Maybe in some cases it's being a little bit harsh in some areas, but you know, I mean, I, I think it, it's it, it's probably fair. I mean, if, if in the summer you can add 
four very, very good players. And then you can get maybe three or four back from loan to sort of fill out the squad and then kind of, you know, try and wait up the transfer ban. Then, then maybe that is, uh, you know, another sort of six or eight players coming back in that are decent. Um, but I mean, I think it, it's a fair reflection of where we are. You know, we, we are yeah. sixth, fifth, sixth, fourth, whatever we are, we're going to finish domestically. You know, we've answered, are they good enough? I and mean, we're not even talking about going up in the Champions League yet. So, you know, I mean, I think that probably reduced the, the squad <laughs> even further yeah. if we're talking about, you know, are we good enough to compete in the Champions League? Well, yeah. we're way off that. Yeah. So, you know, just getting you know. us back domestically could be, yeah, I, I think. Although, you know, the, the irony about that, I had a bit of a row with my uh, two colleagues on the on the Love Sport Fans Forum on Sunday because we were talking about the Europa League yeah. and I said, well, the, the, you know, with, well, Chelsea's done really, really well in it. I said, yeah, but we've been playing shit teams. And I said, look, the bottom line is, you know, right now we are a Champions League side playing in the Europa League and we might not be a very successful Champions League side in other words we might struggle to get out of the group we might struggle to get beyond the round of 32 but we are a Champions League side playing in the Europa League and that's what this has proved this season but I think we are we are way off uh, from doing what we used to do regularly which is hitting quarterfinals semi-finals and even winning it and I think therein lies the truth now we're going to move on because these poor chaps need to go to bed as do I uh, anyway part three we're going to look back at Thursday's squeaky bum talking of Europa League uh, against their match against Slavia Prague and have a quick look ahead to uh, the Man United match this weekend and does that mean that the season really boils down to beating United we kind of hinted it might we'll tell you in a minute Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back, Stamford Chidge. This is the Chelsea Fancast. It's been a humdinger tonight, a real humdinger. Lots of good knowledge, brilliant uh, having uh, Joe and Tony on the show to uh, to kind of discuss all these things that we've been wanting to discuss. Right, we need to kind of quickly talk about uh, the Europa Cup uh, match against Slavia Prague, which was quite bizarre. It really was for so many reasons. Uh, but some interesting fact came out of it, not least that Oli Giroud's now been directly involved in 12 goals in his last nine Europa League appearances, scoring nine and assisting three. Uh, he's the first player to score 10 goals in a single season in European football. Chelsea are now the second uh, Premier League side to reach 100 goals in all competitions after Man City. You know, again, there are lies, there are damn lies, and there are statistics. Uh, Slavia Prague are just one of four sides to score three-plus goals against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in European competition, and the first to do so in the Europa League. And we are the first English side to win 11 major European games in a single season. So there you go. What does all that mean? Lord only knows. My own view on this, chaps, is that uh, it was from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, you know, a game of two halves again, like we were saying about the uh, the, the Burnley match. I thought we, we were superb in that first half. Pedro was on fire, and then we thought the job had been done. I thought Glenn Hoddle, uh, by the way, because I, I couldn't make it because I had to work, but I thought Glenn Hoddle nailed it uh, after the match. He said, well, basically, they looked like they came out. They looked like they thought they'd won it. They switched off. They were complacent. And it smacked of a complete and utter lack of leadership, Joe. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And I think a little bit to what we were saying earlier about sort of, you know, sort of the, the approach that Sari takes. At halftime, I'm, I'm almost inclined to say now that the reason we have this huge drop-off is that, the other team will come in and they'll make adjustments. They'll make changes to how we're playing. Okay, we're going to press more. We're going to try do this. We're going to try X, Y, Z. Top managers will either predict that. Okay, we've been hammering them down the left-hand side, so they're probably going to try this. So first 15 minutes, okay, let's try ABC. 
or that you know that they'll 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 react sort of within the first five ten minutes of the second half. And again, I, I don't think we we see that from Sari. You know, we, we, they came out they they were full of energy. They were completely on the front foot. They were pressing a lot more, and we were playing the sort of same sort of style of football. We were playing in the first half instead of maybe trying to mix it up. I don't know. Let's just try and let's go direct. Let's just try and beat their press. You know, for sort of the first fifteen minutes, tire them out. It was the it was the same thing. You know, you know to to what you're saying. What does Sari say at half time? I think it's partly what he doesn't say. He doesn't seem to inform the players, OK, expect this. You know, they're going to try. They're probably going to come at you. They're going to press. They're going to try this. They're going to try that. They seem completely unprepared for for what's, uh, you know, what's kind of ahead. And it's it's no coincidence that we've got this ridiculous record of conceding so many goals during the first sort of 15 minutes of the second half. Because, you know, we look like we've literally just been switched on and are warming up again. That There's no continuity from the first half. So, yeah, just a, a completely bizarre game. I think, you know, in terms of the second half, we were very lucky that they didn't go on and, and, and actually score the, the goals they needed to actually knock us out. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, Tony, but I, I mean, I, I know it's different when you're watching on the telly because, you know, you're just a bit more detached from it. So therefore you worry more, I think. But I had a real feel. I thought we were really under, in trouble yeah, second half. No, I did. I did. Um and you know we 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 haven't actually named this this kind of second half malaise uh, that we appear to have because it's you know second half mayonnaise yeah man. second half mayonnaise we seem to have that problem um, you know whether it's Premiership or or, or in in any competition it does yep. seem to be and I I'm I'm absolutely think Joe's nailed it I think you know the other team go in and they think right we need to do this we need to this you need to get into this player you need to get into that player watch out for him he's doing this or whatever closing down show. And Sari, I think, just says, says, you know, trust the process, trust the process, mm. trust the system. And I think, you know, we, you know, I, you know, I think we, we kind of got out because I think had they scored and, and brought it back to, to, to level, we would, I think, you know, our asses were going anyway. Yeah, massively, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when you wanted, uh, yeah, I'll go back to, go back to the likes of Mourinho, possibly Conte uh, and, and Carlo. I think you would have had possibly 11 Makaleles out on the pitch for the second half, you know, just breaking the game up. We're uh, 4-1. Um, yeah, the fans want to be entertained, but, you know, ultimately we're 4-1 up and we don't need to do anything else. We just need to break it up, make it ugly. And we seem to didn't do that uh, but we, we also didn't lay a glove on them did we really I think no. you know that there, there, there was it was a real 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 worry and I just think a better team um you know we we, we got the one nil out there we in not a great performance but you know we there was a little bit of the well it's only Slavia Prague or whatever um I, I think Frankfurt might well be a very different uh, a different prospect I I I, I you know it was it was a real worry I mean as a professional team that's uh, you know purported to be one of the best in the English Premier League to to allow that um, sliding performance was was deeply deep run and and indicative of it goes back to what we said earlier on about lack of leadership possibly out on the pitch or whatever as well. Yeah, well, as I said, I think I think Glenn Hoddle absolutely nailed it. Uh, you know, post match, but uh, I tell you else, well, I mean, you know, because my understanding of tactics, uh, Tony, you know, I, I I give up no, you know, I don't give a rat's ass. I really yeah. Don't. 
Um, I've got, you know, me, did, me you watch Napoli? did you watch Napoli last season? Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, why would I? I'm a Chelsea supporter, you know? I hate football. Uh, I love Chelsea, but I hate football. Yeah, it's yeah, as yeah. simple as that. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm obviously joking. I, I, I have a much bigger understanding of it than uh, I like to believe or like to let you believe. But uh, Seb C, who is an absolute legend on Twitter, Joe uh, knows him and has been a follower of him. I've followed him actually for a long time as well, funny enough, Joe. But you know, this is a man who does have his uh, UEFA badges. He said something fascinating, Joe. He said that what happens at half time is that, I mean, if you, if you remember, we were absolutely killing them in the first half because we were putting through these fantastic balls into space in which players were running onto and it was carving them apart. And he said in the second half, what happens is that the opposition managers work out. Now, he, he used the word circuits. Yep. Now, Seb's. Seb doesn't speak in English is not his first language, but what does he mean? Well, I'll ask you in a sec. He said basically they figure out our circuits. Now I understand that to be our pattern of play because, as we know, Sarri and a lot of managers of his ilk like playing in these kind of very predetermined plays, a bit like uh, American football and yeah. patterns. And he's basically said that the opposition worked this out in the second half, are looking for it, and then suddenly in the second half they're intercepting our, our passes all the time. That's a pretty, I think, tight assessment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just just to talk with Sam. I mean, I've I've been friends with him for for a number of years now. Chat with him on, on WhatsApp and all that sort of stuff. And he does occasionally rub people up the wrong way, but I think it, it's mostly because he he likes to wind people up a bit. But you know, this he is, sounds perfect for the Chelsea fan cast. Joe, fan we need, cast, we need I mean, is, is his English good? I, I think I think he'd come on. I mean, you know, he he's twenty five. He's just about to start. I think his UEFA Pro license, well, it, which is what it, the it would bring the average age of the podcast yes, down considerably, would, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> but no, he's, he's put on. So, I mean, when he talks about circuits, I mean, you know, if you look at uh, Italian football, and this is actually something that Conte used as well. A lot of Italian managers play kind of set patterns of play. So the, 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 the famous one that people remember from, from Conte is someone will knock it out to the wing back. It comes back to one of uh, Cesc Fabregas and then the chip ball over to Costa, that sort of up and down kind of movement. That was something that we used to play quite a lot. With Sarri, that these, these patterns or circuits or whatever you want to say that, that go through Jorginho, once you kind of realise the triggers and, and realise kind of the, 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 the passes that he's going to make, because he does make a lot of predetermined passes, as soon as you figure those out, maybe he, I think in, the, in that game, there were maybe four or five patterns that he was using in particular to kind of try and beat their press. As soon as you, you, you figure those out, you can guess, you know, if you can guess three times out of five, you've got a 60% chance of intercepting the ball. So once they figure those out, and, and again, this is something that's happened probably from December onwards, is a team to figure out that we have this very, very set pattern of play, very kind of robotic style of, of, of attacking and building up play. Once you kind of figure those moves out, I mean, it, it's just a, a case of, you know, just being in the right place, you know, three times out of five, you know, and it's, it's not difficult to then disrupt play. The more you then start breaking play up, you know, the more sort of risky the passes that need to be to sort of beat that. So it's easy to then see that you continue to lose possession and then we lose shape and then the sort of game gets away from you. But it, it does happen. It happened against Everton as well, if you remember. First half, fantastic. Second half, they completely yeah. overran us in midfield. And it's because they figured out what, what Jorginho was doing, where he was going to pass the ball. As soon as teams do that, then, then we become ineffective. And it's, you know, it's a great point that Seb makes, but it's one that's happened numerous times this season. I'll tell you what, mate, if a championship quality side like Slavia Prague can do it, it just worries yeah. me what a decent side can do it. And talking of decent sides, we've got Eintracht Frankfurt in the semi-final, 2nd and 9th of May. Now, they've probably been one of the most impressive sides in the competition. They're certainly dark horses. They're fourth in the uh, Bundesliga, but they're known for being a very attacking side. Uh, and, of course, Luka Jovic is, uh, has got 25 goals, and he's, 
you know, he's really uh, attracting the attention of clubs like Bayern Munich and Barcelona. So he's definitely on the radar. This is going to be a really tough test, Joe, I think. Yeah, I mean, this probably they're, they're probably one of the best teams that we're going to play this season. And, and it's their entire front three uh, is going to be what's worrying me. I mean, they've also got a guy up front called Sebastian Haller, who is sort of like a Didier Drogba, David Trezeguet, kind of tall, elegant, powerful striker. He's also, I think he's he might have scored 20 goals this season as well. So you've got two, they played with two up front. They played with Jovic and this guy Haller. Between them, 45, 50 goals are on this season. And then they've got a really, really crafty Croatian number 10 called Rebic who sits in behind them, who again, I think is 10, 11 goals this season. But his, his passing to these two guys is, uh, is, is pretty exquisite. And, you know, th- these aren't two centre-forwards who are going to mince things. You know, that they will play right on your centre-backs. They'll come deep. They're both physically, you know, very, very strong players. Both very quick, both young. They're, they're very aggressive as well. So, you know, I, I wonder how we're going to play against them because it's not often in the Premier League these days that you play a team that that, that plays with two definitive centre-forwards. And, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting to see how we actually combat that because, you know, the, the Eintracht Frankfurt front three is, is probably as good as we'll face, you know, outside of, you know, your, your Liverpools and, and cities that we're going to play this season. So, you know, the rest of the team are pretty decent. They play this kind of sort of weird weird shape it's kind of like a 3-2-5 so it's a little bit of a kind of sorry 3-5-2 so it's a little bit like what Conte played a bit uh, uh, in sort of his first and second seasons with us but uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see how Jovic plays because again he's someone that I'd like I'd like Chelsea to go for I think he's going to be the the next big thing kind of like a bit of a hybrid of an Aguero and a Luis Suarez type player but Haller is the one who worries me because you know it's not often that we play a striker who has his kind of size I think he's like um, what is he about six foot three you know he's, he's an absolute tank of a centre forward but he's mobile and he, he can you know he makes great runs and he's obviously playing with a strike partner as well so he's also going to be a big concern so you know we've, we've got to make sure that our centre-back partnership is right for that game um, and also that, that, that you know if Jorginho is, is going to be the guy that's marking this Rebic that also concerns me because you know Rebic isn't going to be too bothered by you know by being marked by Jorginho he's, he's been you know playing it's probably better holding players in the Bundesliga and, and been creating loads of chances. So front three is dangerous. The rest of the team isn't too bad, but you know the, the, their front three is, is going to be something that will definitely test us, and you know will will definitely be cause for concern. I think. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if they're playing three five two, they're not going to be easy to break down no. either. And and although having said that, uh, Tony, they did let four in against uh, Benfica in the first leg. So uh, you know, clearly you can score against them, but of course we're not exactly that prolific up front, are we? Um, Although we have been in the Europa League, to be well, fair. Yeah, but um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Benfica ain't a bad side either. I don't no, think no, they're not. Either no. of them, um, uh, and, and we are possibly, you know, at the level they're at as well. Um, so this isn't a step down. This is probably playing possibly for the first time. Uh, 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 a proper peer in the sense of you know a team that's you know very similar um yeah to us in in in, in their performances this season um uh, do you think that, we can do it no i don't no <laughs> um, i'm not confident at all mate and i i think you know i think when i see capitulation like we saw against prague I mean, you know one thing i'd say about this side is is we've seen or our side i'm saying uh, i've one thing I've, we've we've seen is we've seen that we can dig out a performance so we saw it with manchester city at home we saw it with spurs yeah. at home we saw it arguably in the not the carling cup whatever it is these days the carabao cup final um where, where we really did dig in and as that game went on we actually started to look like the better side um but the, you know they're the exceptions rather than the rule 
and that that's that's what worries me and so if you if you if you take it from a, a regression to the mean um i think we could be in in a bit of trouble with uh, against frankfurt but on the other hand joe uh you know tony's right we we've we've proved we can do it against spurs uh, liverpool united to a degree uh, and City in the in the Caribou Cup. I, I wonder if you know maybe we might revert to more of a counter-attacking and holding game against this lot because they're going to attack us. I think I think it largely depends on the attitude uh, that we put up, Chidge. I think one of the things that concerned me this season, you know, when we look through the players, you look at some of the ages. Some of these players have won so much in their careers. Sometimes I question, you know, the hunger for some of these sort of Burnley games yeah. and stuff like that. I think in the semi-final. I would be incredibly disappointed if, you know, even if we have Williams and Pedros and, and some of the more experienced guys, if they weren't fully at it for, for the two legs. So I, yeah. I still think, you know, I still think that we, that we should probably, um, if, we, if we play to our strengths and play to our sort of ability, that we should probably beat them over two legs. But, you know, it's going to be an incredibly tough game. And, and the problem will be, I think, you know, is, is as you say, we're not, we're not the most prolific against better teams. And when we play better teams, we're not exactly uh, swung threes and fours. So, um, it's going to be tricky, but I think if we're if we're at the races and and Sari picks the right team and, and maybe doesn't try and go full Sari ball, you know, against against Frankfurt tries to be a little bit respectful of their front three, then I think we've got a chance. But you know, those are lots of ifs and buts at this point in time. Well, they are, aren't they? And I mean, I mean, what I would say is that you know I, I I'm with you on that actually, and I, and I think in a sense it's probably more likely that we'll win the Europa League than we'll get into the top four to be honest, even in, in spite of my weird chart about half an hour ago. But um, I think a lot of it. I mean, I, I can see us getting to the. I, I can see us getting to the final, but I, I can't see us winning the final because I think that you know I I don't trust Sarri's lack of winning a trophy at all. I just wonder whether he's the man to get you over the line. And I think the reason that he might not be is that when push comes to shove, when when a trophy's on the line in a final, he doesn't have this in-game management to yeah. to get you over the line. And quite often when you're playing against a really decent team in a final, you know, you win because of what that manager does on the touchline, what he changes. We've seen it for the last 15 years yeah. we've won so many trophies, Tony, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have. And I think that's, that's a really good point. I think uh, and I'll always go back to the Champions League game. We were hugely underdogs, even in our own hearts. We knew that we didn't have, you know, because we'd lost uh, some key players and, and everything like that. Um, but we went out with a game plan and we stuck with it. And, you know, when we did need to make the changes, you know, we, when we brought Torres on, I think we brought Torres on and he didn't he take the corner that Drogba scored or whatever, or, or got the corner, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so those, those in-game changes. And I think you've seen it, um, you know, in, in in every sort of trophy, it's this ability to to make those changes that, that we lack at the moment. And and, and I, I still think, you know, we've got a chance of, of the Europa League. You know, but we've still got to get through um, what I think is the toughest game to date against uh, against Frankfurt, um, and and then potentially facing Arsenal. And um, I, you know, I tell you what, I just think Emery's got the the edge on us uh, in terms yeah. of, of he's of, won it three times uh, and he's 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 forging something slightly different at Arsenal isn't he he's moved away from that kind of professorial thing I mean you know they're still conspiring to make it a really shit finish to get in the top four but um, you know in in his first season I, th- I think he's he's performed quite well in what would have been the shadow of Wenger 
and um, so you know that, that worries me. But uh, you know, right. I, I'm afraid I, I I think my my views on on that are not great, and they're even less great on the Man United game. So you know, well, 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 let's get down to that now. I mean, do you think I'm right with that, Joe? That you know, the season may well all boil down to whether we beat United or not, or not on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think if. I think if we don't win, I'm taking the draw scenario out of it. I think if we don't win, and that that's that's pretty much it. I mean, you're going to have to have an absolute catastrophic, you know, fallout from Arsenal or or Tottenham. You know, the entire team gets bird flu or something. You know, to to sort of stop us from, from getting into the top four. So, uh, or food poisoning. Well, I mean, maybe. we could I mean, from a dodgy lasagna at yeah. West Ham, mate. I mean, yeah. we, we know a few chefs on Twitter, so maybe that can be arranged, but. I mean, Spurs. oh fuck's sake! Talking of the Spurs devil, Spurs have just scored yeah. against Brighton. Yeah. Bastards! Yeah, yeah. So bastards. That's a twenty-five yard free kick from Ericsson. Ericsson. Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. Okay, so Never yeah, mind. so definitely, yeah, definitely. If we lose now, um, I think that that uh, that top four dream is over. Um, even then, even with a win, you know, it, it's going to be a long shot. But you know, it, it keeps you, uh, it keeps you in the hunt. Part of me, you know, thinks that. If, if we don't win, then, then maybe we can focus all our energy on, on the Europa League and maybe that, that's the best bet. But, you know, you're, it, it's a real kind of, you're sort of playing poker Risky. or two games of poker yeah. with, with very bad hands at the moment. So it's just it'd be interesting to see how we, uh, how we play them for the rest of the season. Indeed. Um, the other thing that occurs to me, Tony, is, you know, I'm praying to God, like, you know, all football supporters everywhere, that uh, City absolutely thump United tomorrow. Uh and of course, that means they would have been thumped by Everton, thumped by City. Can you really see United at home losing three in a row? Uh, no, uh, United. Um, we we got out of jail against United earlier in the season at Stamford Bridge, and then we lost. And that them. was under Mourinho. Uh, no, no, no. Earlier this season, didn't we? No, two... no. But Oli, Oli, Oli wasn't there. No, no, um, no. I was under Mourinho for the cup match. The fact, the fact for the cup yeah, match. Yeah, for the yeah. cup match. You know, so and under arguably against Mourinho, who was driving them into the ground, uh, you know, we still relied on, what was it, a seventh-minute equaliser or something, a seventh-minute yep. extra-time equaliser. Um, then they scored us. They scored us in the FA Cup game, and we looked ineffective. Um, I, I, I I, think City will win. I think it will be 1-0. I don't think they're going to thump them, because I think City are playing a very, very pragmatic are, game at the moment, and, and, and seeing it through, knowing that... Uh, very Mourinho-like. Yes, very, very Mourinho-like, and and you know there's 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 possibly some evidence there that um, Guardiola, um, you know, is has has also taken on board this idea that sometimes you just can't win pretty. You just got to go out and do the job, um, and 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 the idea of that we would go to, you know, I know people go on about momentum and you know if they're on a losing streak, you know, I, I, the, the 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 time we play any team. I hate more than any, and it doesn't matter whether it's Brighton or Cardiff or is when they've lost the week before, because you can bet your bottom dollar out yeah. come the Superman capes and the pants outside the bloody yeah. uh, tights or whatever for the goalkeeper. And we just end up um, seeing a game like we did last night where we, no matter what we try, we can't, can't do it. And I just think at home, Old Trafford, having potentially lost to Everton and whatever, they will want to put things right. And look at look look at our away form. You you did it in the last uh, fan cast as well. And I think you put the the our away form against the top six is abysmal. Well, we haven't beat anybody in the top nine, and we haven't played uh, City or a uh, City. We haven't played um, United or Leicester yet. Yeah. So that 
You know, we haven't beaten anybody away of any note. Uh, and I mean, that's the thing, actually. I, I, I mean, you know, hey, anything can happen. You never know. If we beat them, it'd be great. It's lovely beating United, always is. But I just can't really see Chelsea getting a result when they absolutely need to at the moment. That's that's what worries me. Yeah. Anyway, we'll find out soon enough. I'm not going to bother with predictions and starting 11s. We no, kind of, no. we, we've said what we've had to say. Indeed. Right, part four. Parish notices, emails at very big speed because these two guys need to go to bed and I'm dying for a piss. <laughs> Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back up to Stanford Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And uh, so I have some parish notices, which I've nicked from Tony, as you probably, as I ought to really say, <laughs> in a guilty fashion. Uh, you know, there you go. Uh, what is it? Uh, you know, uh, co- uh, plagiarism is the highest form Absolutely. of flattery, Tony. Is. Yes, yes. All right, so there we go. Uh, parish notices in brackets, a Tony Glover original. <laughs> uh, right, Paul Burt, the lovely Paul Burgess, a long-time uh, supporter of the uh, Chelsea fan cast. So it's time for us to support him, uh, more pertinently to, to support his son. He says, hello, Chidge, we need support for my son, Ben, who's a massive Chelsea fan. And he's heading to Tanzania, or Tanzania, as Donald Trump might say, uh, in July. Uh, the easiest way to do this is to go... Well, I will put this link up on uh, on our Twitter feed. Better late than never, Tony. No. I'll put this up on our Twitter feed. Uh, but uh, the link is go to gofundme.com and then type in Ben039S. And then you'll find uh, his account. And then you just pump some money in there and help this lad out. And I hope Paul as well. He's a lovely bloke. Right. Uh, ben Horner, who is also a lovely bloke and also a very, very, very long time listener of the Chelsea Fancast. He was in the original Facebook group that uh, numbered about 50 people back in the day. Uh, and talking of which, actually, uh, next Monday is the 29th of April, which happens to be my mum's birthday. But it also happens to be the day after the 11th anniversary of the first Chelsea fancast we ever did. So it'll be like a birthday edition next Monday. Anyway, Ben Horner, who also runs Boston Blues, says, Hey, Chidge, if you know anyone who is coming to Boston for the friendly match, this is the uh, kind of... Um, oh, forgive me. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, but it's a New, new England revolution yeah, or something, yeah. but it's all to do with the anti-Semitism... Uh, you know uh, stuff that that Roman's organising anyway if you're going to Boston for the friendly and are trying to sort out transportation to and from the match the Boston Blues are running a couple of buses feel free to share this link with anyone who might be interested and I will put this link up on our Twitter feed too but if you want to check it out just go to bostonbluescfc.com uh, and just whack in bus to Gillette and you'll probably find it. All right. Uh, Gary Wilson, uh, help us again, Chelsea and all footy fans. My son is running the London Marathon with Kirsty on his shirt for Children with Cancer UK charity. Now, Kirsty, a beautiful, beautiful, lovely girl, massive Chelsea fan. Gary's daughter very tragically died of cancer a couple of years ago. So uh, her brother is, is basically running in her honour. So if you can spare whatever for this cause, he's a bit off his target. So... Uh, you know, do go and uh, help him out if you can. Virgin Money 
giving.com search for dale wilson supporting children with cancer uk vlm 2019 right uh quick shout outs for the usual suspects chelsea supporters trust join the trust get your voice heard by the club free to join up to be a member but if you want a badge like tony does and you want to be able to vote well if you want a badge like tony does he just has to be there in the pub when yes, i bring I it know, but anyway I, says, I got to wear it proudly yeah, though last yeah. night you know, i'm anyway. sitting here scolded all right yeah, yeah, you consider yourself scolded, mate. Uh, anyway, so if you want to be able to vote and attend the meetings and you need to pay a fiver a year, uh, you can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com uh, and you can follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. Patreon, uh, don't forget, if you like what we do, we can, uh, you can become a Chelsea Fancast patron and that helps us cover the costs of running two shows a week. You'd be surprised how much it costs to run two shows a week, actually. Anyway, it also helps us to continue to produce what we believe is unique and a great podcast on all things Chelsea. So if you want to donate, whatever you want, no pressure. And by the way, at this juncture, I'm going to say, if you know, I'm never going to do uh, a put a show, a Chelsea fan cast behind a paywall. I am never going to put on Patreon a podcast where you only get it if you pay us money. That is like so against my ethos on what we do here. It, it makes my head explode. All right. Fine, by all means, sign up to Patreon, donate a bit of money because you want to. Not because I'm telling you to, because you want to and you think it's, you know, you want to support what we do. But I am never, you know, Chelsea Fancast podcast will always be free to air. That is the point of the internet, people. All right. If I wanted to make you pay, I'd put it on fucking Netflix. All right. <laughs> anyway. Rant over. Yeah, so look, you know, if you want to help us out, lovely. You know, it, as I said, it, I, I, there are, you'd be surprised, quite a lot of costs involved in doing this, um, you know, all the platforms you have to be on. Uh, anyway, apart from all that, it's a great way to interact with me. I tend to take notice of people who email me on uh, uh, on Patreon Lodge because I feel guilty because you, you've paid us some money, you know. So it does work, trust me. Russell Saunders knows this for a fact. Uh, so anyway, uh, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast and... Uh, Anyway, if you've got any ideas about it, you know, I actually had a look at it the other day and there's all sorts of weird shit on there about how I can interact with you even more. I'm going to check it out and I'll let you know. Right, finally, uh, CPO. If you want to earn a little bit of Chelsea uh, and protect the future of the club, uh, then go and buy a share of the Chelsea pitch owners who, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea will always play football at Stamford Bridge, which is kind of the point. Uh, if you want to know how to get a share... Uh, Email info at chelseapitchowners.com. Check out the website, chelseafc.com forward slash fads, forward slash chelsea pitch hyphen owners, and follow them on Twitter at pitch owners. They're about 40 quid for a share, I believe. And last, by no means least, the last issue of CFC UK will be out, I presume, for the United match. Uh, mine is called Chelsea, a case of care in the community. I'll leave that there. It's a bit of a rant, believe it or not. Uh, anyway, but it ends well. Uh, so if you can't get it at United because you're not going, uh, you'll get it in the last home match of the season on the stall, CFC UK stall opposite Fulham Broadway, any of the sellers in Kings Road or Fulham Road. Uh, yeah, Fulham Road. Uh, and if you can't get it in person, you can always get it online by going to cfcuk.net. Right, uh, we've got a few emails for you coming up. Uh, and uh, the first one is my email of the week, people. So strap yourself in. This is from Steve Martinez. Uh, this is a, a, a kind of a rant and a question. He says, Dear Chid, JK and the lads, I've been a long-time listener and 
uh, have on several occasions thought of writing in uh, after the last show I couldn't resist and thought well in my opinion uh, a cunning of a cunning plan or thought sorry uh, well in my opinion of a cunning plan first of all a little bit about me son of immigrants born in Hammersmith and raised in Fulham that sounds like proper Chelsea to me uh, started supporting Chelsea properly when Ian Porterfield was in charge now you think that things are shit now crikey you should have been going when Porterfield was in charge anyway and a certain Mick Harford came in and with his many-headed goals, saved us from relegation. I remember it well. Uh, I've always lived locally and have had the fortune to be a regular match day goer, shed in the middle, and see the full transformation of the ground from temporary stands. Yes, the ones that those Millwall lot tore up and threw seats at us <laughs> after our <laughs> FA Cup fifth round penalty. Yeah. That was in 94, wasn't it, I think? It was. It was just, they were just 92. helping us demolish the, the, yeah. the stand. That was all yeah, they did. We actually yeah. paid them to do it, yes, to be honest, did, yeah. Steve. You know, everybody <laughs> knows that. Anyway, to some real classics in an all-seater stadium. Unfortunately, since 2000. I can no longer go to games as I now live in Spain and have had to watch games from a distance. Oh, how I miss the full match day experience. Pub, match, pub. That's the spirit, Steve. Now, living in London for 28 years, I've always been surrounded and influenced by uh, a, a many, di- many diverse cultures. It is from this point, one of the most important pieces of culture that Britain has to offer, that I wanted to write about. British comedy. This is what I love. This has got absolutely nothing to do with football, yeah, Tony. Brilliant. This, this is, is my kind of fast. email. Yeah, uh, so basically, uh, British comedy. It's basically everywhere, from The Office, Faulty Towers, Little Britain, IT Crowd, Father Ted, Far Show, Lenny Henry, Only Fools and Horses, to some mothers do have them. The list could go on and on. It's simply the best, and something that I'm sure everybody can recognise has influenced every soul in their everyday life. On this note, in light of the recent uh, results, the dreaded loss to the Scousers, and toxic atmosphere surrounding our much-loved club and the UK, to be honest... I thought it would be quite amusing to have a satire show a la Blackadder Monty Python-S depicting the days going on our uh, our club. The characters do not have to be similar to our current crop, but can be added from other clubs, and why not? It's for fun. I'll get you guys started on a few character ideas. The head coach, the one and only Mike Bassett. (laughs) I I, I really do. Well, mate, I think think we've already got him, actually. (laughs) It's just that Sarri is not Mike Bassett. He's like more for... What is it? Four fucking three three. Nah, yeah, exactly. It? I think there's just that yeah. lovely point in that where I was sitting there last night watching the Burnley game, thinking tomorrow we will play four four, four fucking, fucking two three two strikers. Yeah, exactly. You know when you might need them. Yeah, there you go. Go on, sorry. That's right. Assistant coach, a suave, educated chap, a la Baldrick or Trigger. <laughs> I like that because I, mean, I think I think Zola's a bit simple, really, isn't he? When it comes to that. Great footballer, but rubbish as an assistant. Anyway, director of football, the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> I like it. Managing director, Del Boy, always wheeling and dealing, and cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I love your show, and I hope you have fun with this. All the best, Steve. I think we'll, we, we will, because we're so over budget on time, Steve, I'm going to reintroduce this idea yes. next week, because yes. Jonathan will, will be kicking himself that he's missed this. You know, yeah. so we, we need to get him on it because he's probably played most of them, as you well know, Steve. Uh, right. Uh, th- second email. Kendall Douglas, the lovely Kendall. Hello, all. Typing this in a fit of anger. Wouldn't be surprised if I broke my keyboard. <laughs> Dear me. Uh, apologies to whoever reads this in advance. A couple of thoughts. Why do we persist in zonal marking? We continue to give up goals and yet we continue to do it. Chelsea players or three Chelsea players marking each other and leaving Burnley open for a tap in. Second, why can't we get a corner past the first man? If we have players that can shoot the ball over the goal, <laughs> e.g. Kovacic, why can't we clear the first player? That is a brilliant point. Yeah. Third, what was Kevin Friend doing? Giving a yellow, uh, yellow card for time-wasting in the first half, 
then allowing Burnley to play the second half on the ground. He can fuck off with Pawson after that display. It's disappointing that we had the chance to jump to third place and gave up two easy goals. Terrible to see Adoy and Kante to pick up the injuries as well. Rant over. On a more positive note, I hope to see you win the Football Blogging Awards, as I can always count on the Chelsea fancast to keep me entertained between matches. Thanks again for all you do in continuing to keep those of us around the world informed since we can't physically be at the matches. All the best, Kendall Douglas. I, 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 don't... I have to say some one point there, right? We do have a player who can beat the first man and did it absolutely every single time when he played for England in the last England game, Ross Barkley. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, good point. Good yeah. point. Yeah, good point. Sadly, he wasn't on the pitch. No. I don't think there's much to respond there, because I think we've kind of gone into all of this, haven't we, in, in great detail. But Kendall, brilliant email, mate. Right, last but by no means least, the lovely Jimmy Fox. Uh, he says, Dear Chiz, JK and the gang, I cannot say that I didn't expect that result against Burnley. Another squandered opportunity. Chelsea's familiar woes have resurfaced yet again. I really feel bad for the fan cast because Chelsea are failing to give you any new material to talk about. <laughs> Trust me, Jimmy, even if we had new material, we would make it sound the same boring old tosh that we speak week in, week out. But there you go. So, uh, Chelsea are failing to give you any new material to talk about. One week, Chelsea win gloriously, giving us all hope for a top four finish. While the next week, Chelsea drop points to a bottom half team because of a combination of shaky marking on set pieces, wasted possession because of poor crossing and finishing, and a lack of killer instincts on the pitch. I'm just tired of Chelsea failing to show any realisation of the myriad of problems their short-termism is creating. I'm ready for a new set of problems to complain about to my American friends who just want me to shut up about soccer. Enough of my waffling on. I would love to hear all of your verdicts on whether Sarri should stay or go. Cheers and up the Chels, Jimmy the Fox. That's a good question. You could have just read that out and that was the show. (laughs) Yeah. I know. He nailed it, didn't he? He did. So come on then. Nail nail your colours to the mask, Tony. Yes or no? Sarri to stay or go? Go. Simple as that. Yep, go. Not now. End of season. No point in getting rid of him now. All right, no, fair point. So, end of the season for you, uh, Tony, he's gone. Joe, what about you, mate? Uh, go, and apart from obviously what we've, we've talked about today, I think the the amount of money that we would need to spend to get a team resembling something that he could turn into, you know, whatever his philosoph- philosophical vision is, would be in the hundreds and hundreds of millions, and that's just not going to happen. So, logically, it has to be a no. Mm. Well, I'm going to be slightly controversial here. I think for me... Uh, I look. I've always said this. It'd be wrong for me to go back on this. I, I don't think he's right for the Premier League. I really don't, uh, unless he changes and adapts. And I don't see him doing that at the age that he is. So, I just, I just don't think it's a plan that's worked. What I would say is that I, 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 I could just see Chelsea, you know, ironically, not getting rid of the one manager they probably should get rid of. <laughs> Because they don't want to not to get rid of managers anymore. Yeah. I also think I also think that Marina Granovskaya, she's Russian. There's no way, and she's a woman, so that means she's stubborn. Much as I, I don't mean to be misogynistic here, because I think Marina's great. Actually, I don't. I think she gets a very bad press, yes. and I think it's unfair. But um, I do think she's stubborn, and she she knows her mind, and I don't think she's going to want to lose face. And she picked him. I, I think she's going to stick with it. I had it on very good. I had a chat with somebody yesterday who who knows people who knows people who steals things, and he he said to me he's had it on good authority that he that Sari is not going anywhere. So I would not be surprised to see him stay next year. Personally, what would clinch it for me if we get a transfer ban? 
I think he's got to go because I just don't think he's a manager who's going to be able to operate within the constraints that that would mean for us because he's like all big managers. I mean, whatever you think of him, he's managed, you know, Napoli where he's been able to buy and sell players and that's the kind of level he is and that's what he expects. I just I just can't see him doing what has to be done, which is to play a bunch of old farts and uh, and bring the youth in. So, you know, I, I think if we get a transfer ban, I'd get rid of him. But I, I, do you know what? I really don't think the club are going to. So there you go. You, I think we're, we're, we've got him for another year at least. That's for sure. Right. Enough. 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 Uh, did I ask you, Joe? I did, didn't I? You said you said go, didn't yes. you? Yes. Right. Okay. Thanks for all the emails this week. We love getting your emails, uh, and we always do our best to read them out, uh, particularly if they're quite short like that. Really nice, like that. So if you want to email us, uh, send them to chelseafancast at gmail dot com and uh, try and get it to me by Monday morning at the absolute latest. Uh, unless it's well yeah monday morning even if it's a tuesday night show right finally that's all we've got time for tonight we'll be back next monday april the 29th uh which will be our birthday celebration show uh i'll be joined by jonathan dan silver and clayton beerman and uh, we'll be looking back at the match against man united of course and we'll be looking ahead to the europa cup semi-final first leg against eintracht frankfurt uh, now, don't forget to tune in to the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 and 9pm this Friday. Join me, Jonathan and Johnny Burrow as we digest the latest news, only look Chelsea, latest Chelsea news even, and look back at the Burnley match and look ahead to the Man United match. Now, uh, phone in and join the show and debate with us live. The number to call is 0208 70 20 558. And of course, Love Sport is a London radio station and it's broadcast on 558 AM and uh, your digital uh, radio channels as well as online through Radio Player or apps, really. Radio Player, tune in or lovesportradio.com. Um, and the show, of course, is available as a podcast shortly afterward, as are all our shows, uh, which are on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify and all sorts of other podcast distributors and, ca- and catchers. Uh, one thing I would say, actually, is that it's been confirmed today that we will be carrying on the Love Sport Friday shows throughout the summer. So there'll still be a bit of Chelsea on your radio and in your ear rolls from a podcast all through the summer. It'll be a shorter show, it'll be an hour long, but uh, I've been told we're carrying on, which is great news. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chid, Joe at Joe Tweedy and Tony at Grosserjack UK. Check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com. Many thanks to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers for the regular content during the week. Uh, follow them on Twitter at CFCGWLB, that's Alex, at Nick Stroudley, at Clitheroe Blue, at Dean Mears, at CFC Nicholas, at Tosser of Coin, at Tom Gott 95, at John Topier, and follow the regular Chelsea Fancasters too, which are at Jonathan Kidd, at DanSilve73, at Goldie59, Clayton, at CFCGWLB, Alex, at Gate17Marco, at Liam underscore Toomey, and, and at OJ Harbord, also known as Ollie Harbord. There we go. I'm out of puff. I'm dying for a pee. Uh, Joe, brilliant. Thank you. Sorry, mate. It's been a bloody hell. It's been a bit Andrex, this show. It's long, long and very strong, mate. Sorry. Apologies. No, it's, it's perfectly fine, Chidge. No worries about it at all. No. It's been fun. Lovely. Well, you've, you've made it. I mean, you know, it might be long, but it's been full of quality, mate. Largely thanks to you and Tony. You've been brilliant. Tony, what an absolute pleasure. Always lovely to speak to you, mate. Shame I didn't see you in the cock for a pint last night, but you are forgiven. Yes, man, I will be there for the Watford game. Don't worry about that. Marvellous. All right, mate. And whatever whatever happens, we need to have a pint in the summer. Let's not stop bullshitting, and we'll have a pint in the summer down in Hampshire. You know I'm moving back properly June the 1st. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mrs. Chidge. That gives us even more excuses to uh, research the local area. 
<laughs> yeah, you know the flat. The flat's being let out on June the first, mate. We're moving back, so no excuses. All right, brilliant, you boys. You've been fantastic. Uh, thank you for making it a great show. People in Mixler, I, I can't believe there's still a few people in there. You're amazing. Uh, you just make it what it is on a Monday, on a Monday or a Tuesday night. So, so, so you know, massive thanks for being in here, keeping us company. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills up the chills. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.